Third time's a charm. <laughs> More control controversy. And Xbox finally gets release info. I know you did. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, Mr. Saw Bridges with episode 179. I think so, but we're just going to say it is. Pretty sure. <laughs> if you are new to the podcast, stick around to the end so you can find where you can watch us if you're listening or listen to us if you're watching. But also, if you want to be part of our social media stuff and be part of our upcoming, you know, not upcoming, but our community's take section, which is a little later into the episodes, wait around and see that. But we start this show off the right way and ask each other very cordially, very nicely. What have you been up to, Saul? What have you been playing? I have not actually talked to you about games this week until you got here today, even though I've seen you this week. Yeah. Um, I haven't turned on my PlayStation since Sunday. till today. So one full Literally week. Literally a full week. <laughs> of not playing my PlayStation at all. Uh, we talked about last week I downloaded Dishonored, and I got home, and I started it up, and I forgot, like, I've, I think I've beaten Dishonored now twice. The if original not one, once, right? yes. If not once, but then I've gotten most of the way through it a couple more times. And I forgot how slow that game is to kind of open with the prison yeah. and everything and getting to Dunwall. And it's one of those things that's kind of like, I don't really feel like doing this again. <laughs> like, it's like, I want to play this game, but at the same time, I don't really feel like going through the opening again. See, this is where you should play Dishonored 2 because this is the thing that kind of works out, right? Is it sounds like most of your complaints with Dishonored, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but it's like... It's just repetition. It, it, it's complaints with the way it had to be structured for it to be playable on the last-gen console. That's true, right? Too, yeah. So everything's set up in like not very large areas. Like They're okay, yeah. but for the most part, they're pretty small, corridor-y for the most part, with a couple of different tr- routes for you to Until find. Until you get to like the courtyard. And everything's there. structured in like missions that have fair Really long load times. Yeah. Right? So Dishonored 2, as opposed to that, is very big areas. They still are sectioned off areas depending on where you're going, but they're fairly big areas with a lot of control as to how you choose what you're doing. And that's part of what I think makes Dishonored 2 such a better game. And I love Dishonored 1. I'm not down talking at all. Yeah. It's a fantastic game. And one of those few games that when I was, as soon as I was done, I was like, I have to play both DLCs. But Dishonored 2 solves most of that by bringing the game into the modern age. And it's also a beautiful game. Dishonored 1 still holds up, but not nearly as much as Dishonored 2. No, it doesn't. I think it does because they chose to do art style over, um, you know what I mean? Like the, the whole Breath of the Wild thing where you know your game or you know that your system in systems in this case can't really do this game and what you're trying to do in a very realistic manner so you lean on the art style more don't get me wrong Dishonored 2 looks loads better <laughs> yeah Dishonored <laughs> 1 has Dishonored 2 is still a clear evolution of the same art style it just happens to have a lot more detail Dishonored 2 you can tell is a last gen game because it's very muddy Dishonored 1 you mean or yeah Dishonored 1 it's very muddy the anti-aliasing is bad yeah, um, yeah. but I thought like this is kind of the weird um, thought process was like, I thought I was like, if I'm going to start up a game and play through it again, and it's going to have a long, not even a long intro, but kind of a slow to start intro. I'm going to play the best stealth game there is. That's Metal Gear Solid 5. I knew you were about to say it. And I did that today. So like last night I was like, oh yeah, I was going to try to like start that game up again. Yeah. Um, I, Cause I never beat it. I'd never beaten that game. I've gotten to the part where you beat the Solanthropus. Um, and where you end up taking down, um, ooh, what is his name? Skull. It's it's uh, like mm. 
Mr. Skull or Lord Skull or somebody like that. Like it's 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 one of the main antagonists of the game. And I got to that part, and that, that's where for a while there I was like, this game should have ended like now, but it didn't. And I I know what happens at the end, and I want to get uh like all the contextual clues and stuff throughout that. But I have a theory now that I'll discuss. Either I'd rather it's old. It's an old game. It's four years old at this point. I think right, five years old. No, no. Uh, it was before the pro came out uh, uh, and the slim came out. So, so yeah, 2016, I think I correlate this game to when I first moved in my new apartment because it launched. And do you remember I moved in and you came over to check out my apartment? And that's the game I was playing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, it's one of those things like I want to finish it. And, and I think that this game has some of the yeah, it, 2015. So it is five years ago. Yeah. Dang. I've lived in those apartments for five years now. Um, it is one of those things that is, I think the best stealth game ever because it is, it has the most amount of freedom. You can tackle You can tackle things at, at way, way, way a variety than you can before. And that's why I think it's so easy to keep replaying is that the base that I tackled in the second mission, the first time I played it is completely different than how I just did it. Played Dishonored 2. And is that the same thing? Because then I, I was, again, that's the whole point of Dishonored too. Is like take and again, it's it's everything, right? Because it's the same in Metal Gear Solid. Clearly, it you're saying it's the best stealth game, but you don't have to play that game stealthily. Clearly, you don't have to. The no. game exists with the opportunity for you to play it full guns blazing. It's much harder. It is, yeah. You're probably, and that's the same in Dishonored. You're going to have more of a challenge in terms of the uh, the sheer brute force of the enemies, but the real challenge exists in how you can get around being seen minimal and all the fun of how you can tackle things. And that's what, kind of what I was getting at earlier with the Dishonored 2 makes everything so much more open, Yeah, is that it makes doing everything, and there's so many optional parts of quests that you just don't even know about. That's like, Oh, you can go do that. And if you do that, you'll have a different outcome. And it's something that you could just stumble across. Well, not only that, but and like, there's so many different paths, which make you play them in so different ways. It's like, you could go through every mission and play it in a complete, which dishonored one had this, but very small you could, scale. Yeah, very you, small. In dishonored scale. one, you can only take down the same five guys in a handful of different ways. Yeah. And it Whereas was like this game five, is five or six ways. So much more than that. See, that's the thing with metal gear solid five Yeah, is that I could take on this base and I could take it on full guns blazing, full stealth this way, full stealth that way. Then I could implement item use and use decoys. I could go in with, I could send packages in on somebody's head and like it's, I'd be quiet in that game, the sniper. I beat her by like, like she was hard and I was like, I'm going to drop a package in on her head. And I did. I, I did. You could do this thing like where you could do drop packages and like you can uh, call, like call up mother base and be like, I need ammo essentially. You do it all from your Android and then you can designate where to drop it. Well, I, Looked at her with the binoculars, marked her on my map, went into the iDroid, went to um, deployment, went down, grabbed ammo, and then I had I had them drop the crate from the helicopter on her head, and that's what happened. And I walked up, I ran over there, and then that whole cutscene played out of like you becoming friends with Quiet now. Yeah, because we th- that game I think is just phenomenal, but that game the reason I started playing it yesterday, dude, I forget that game is crossed in. Yeah, that's well, wild. that's kind of that's kind of like where that's what I was saying. Like, you can tell that DSR was last gen, where it's actually kind of hard to tell this game's cross gen because this game is really pretty for a cross gen game. Yeah, most cross gen games aren't that pretty. That's this also game's pretty pretty. They talked about how long this game took to make because of all the work put on the Fox engine. <sighs> yeah, this because game, they wanted a brand almost, new engine almost directly after four. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I think that there's a theory that this game was taking place in development in four. Like there was four was being developed while this game was being developed at the same time. There's so many, and, there's so many games that came out between that too, 
that were medical, like you know, Peace Walker. Yeah, you had um, so many things that came out. What's the other one? That's the other handheld one. Oh, there there's plenty. There's Metal Gear Acid. There's Metal Gear. Um, but there was there was another one. Yeah, one I'm was PS Vita and one was PSP, wasn't it? Isn't that no? How there that was worked? no there was no PS Vita exclusive. That's right. I'm thinking. Of, I'm thinking yeah. of the collections. There was a Metal Gear. What was it called? There, there was a bunch of them. That some of them were like Portable visual Ops. novels. Yeah, Portable, Portable Ops. Ops. Yeah. Um, but Metal Gear Acid, Portable Ops. Then you had, um, I think, was Acid the one that was the one that was set up like a visual novel? No, uh, Acid was a card game. Card game, but it had like visual novel. Um, I shouldn't say visual novel. It had like manga style cutscene. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like Danganronpa. So, yeah, yeah, I would say visual novel. Now yeah. you said that. I never made that correlation until now. Yeah. I never um, beat those games, but I remember playing them. I was playing. So, this is, this is why I've been wanting to play a stealth game lately. And that what, there's one stealth game, arguably one of the best ones known to man, that you can't play on this generation. And it's hard to play on last generation. And that's Metal Gear Solid 1. There's no definitive way to play that game this generation. No, there's not. But last generation is not hard. You just buy the PS1 version. Yeah. you buy the, Well, that's what I'm saying. You can only do it on one console, technically, like you do it on PC. But you can't play it on Xbox at all. You can't play it on uh, any of the Wii devices. Because I don't think it was one of those backwards compatible games for yeah. the Wii. Um, I the still GameCube think... Disc. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do it. But um, I still think that there's a high chance, you know... I, clearly the reason that people were getting hyped when they were talking about the next Blue Point remake, and it was kind of like, what were the three games you always heard? It was either Legend of Dragoon, which mm-hmm. is a very hyped PS1 game that very few people got to play, but there's like a cult following. Then you have Demon Souls, another cult following game that not enough people got to play, but a really successful franchise spawned off of its back, kind of. Yeah. Then you have a very popular game that has been so hard to play in a way that's true to the original, because a lot of people are the Metagross Solid 1 purist and they don't like twin snakes because of the fact that it's not metagross solid one i don't i don't know a single person that says that oh i, I again i should say in to, person i don't think i do yeah I, I know i've met at least one but it's a very online thing you know what i mean um but either way it goes to the point of it's the game that in the series seems the, the most hardest to be able to play and find so um, yeah, I mean I'm with you. I, I think that the reason so many people wanted that in a remake is because you can't play it at all this gen. See, I I would kill, I would kill for a Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes remake, if not just single a Metal Gear Solid One remake, because it would it would inherently be similar to an extent to Twin Snakes. You know what I mean? Twin Snakes was trying to remake it, but also add stuff that I think he originally wanted to do that the PS1 that couldn't handle. Couldn't that's, what handle. It, that's what it pretty much was, was that it was a definitive version before a, a definitive versions were a thing. It's, it's been so long since I... I never beat Twin Snakes. I did play it, but I can't remember. Did they have the Metagross Solid 2 or 3 camera? Huh? Was it a set camera? And angles, or it was, was set, it free it was camera. camera? Okay, I couldn't remember. Yeah, um, the, only, the first game period to get the Metal Gear Solid Three camera was Metal Gear Solid Three Snake Eater. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I should say there was a version of Three that exists with a set camera. Yeah, but, Subsistence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wait, see, and that's what gets me. Metal Which Gear Solid one? Two Substance, right? Uh, yes, and Three, and is then three subsistence. subsistence. Yeah. People hate on Metal Gear Solid Two. I love Sub- Metal Dude, Gear Solid Great 2. game. I think honestly, and it's not it doesn't mean it's a bad game. My least favorite is Metal Gear Solid Four. I love that game so much, but I think that there's a lot of I think there's a lot of stuff involved around that. 
like you know when you experience a game not by yourself so you have like a lot of other memories tied into it i have memories of spending hot springs with devin and seth and playing that game the entire week we were there yeah and like all of us playing together and watching it so there's a lot of stuff tied to it that is like enjoyment that i guess is technically outside of the game but because of the game yeah and see there's no way to play that game unless yeah. you have a ps3 yeah i try to and i've honestly, debated playing it recently honestly like i would buy a cheap pristine condition i wonder i wonder if there's like a Oh, a, I have a PS3. A, a Walmart somewhere. No, I want a brand new one. Because oh. I'd want to have one for Demon Souls and then pretty much Metal Gear Solid Machine. I mean, I have that white one in there that basically looks brand new. I might borrow it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've downloaded, I'm downloading it now on my laptop because I'm curious how to run Metal Gear Solid 1 Integral. Is that the fan remake that was going around? Remake. It's uh, it's essentially just Metal Gear Solid One. <laughs> I'm thinking remake is to um. Well, when I say remake, like they wanted to play and feel like the original, but they're doing things to like upgrade some of the graphics and stuff to make it run like a native I mean, widescreen and stuff like it, that. Okay, because, yeah, the, the the graphics itself are left untouched, but the resolutions and stuff have been fixed. I guess. Yeah, and like opening more of the field of view to include it in an actual. 16 by 9 instead of stretching the 4.3 to a 16 by 9, I think. is I remember seeing it. Didn't they get... Yes, because mine's not, mine at home on my computer is not stretched at yeah. all. Yeah. Uh, but what I will say about this one is that I cannot for the life of me, because of this being kind of one of those weird fan-made things on PC, I can't figure out how to get controller to work. So uh, I've been playing with a keyboard. Now, the thing about this one is that it's honestly not that bad because it plays like an old school PC game. Where it's like you click where you're going. No, and... there is no mouse use at all. Really? Yeah, you use the arrow pads to move around. WASD? No, you use the arrow, arrow well, keys. I know that, but WASD, are they, do they come into play for like aiming or anything? No, like uh, you hit... Because uh, remember, you can't run in the first Metal Gear Solid game in first person. That's so you true. hit X to go to first person. And then you aim using the arrow keys again. So it actually doesn't play that bad. I would rather it be able to play on my controller yeah, than anything sure. else. But that's all I've played this week are those two games. Oh, well, and I, I downloaded a game on PC called RimWorld. And I haven't, that sounds familiar. I haven't played much of it. It's made by the same people who made Prison Architect, except instead of being a uh, prison warden, you are a planet colonizer. And you have a colony that crash lands on a planet, and it is your job to get off that planet over the course of weeks of playing, pretty much. And it's very humorous. It has the same art style as um, as um, Prison Architect does, kind of that cutesy, um, almost explosive comic art style in a way. Yeah. But then it has some hilarious dialogue in it. Like uh, if you look at the logs, you can. There are three things. You you have three. Um, people three call uh three of your colonizers crash land and <clears throat> you could have them like walk around in their chat and stuff as they're doing things like collecting wood or rocks or something and it was like i had one that said like sarah and mike are having a conversation about feet sarah doesn't like feet <laughs> that's not it no i don't know what are you sure is. it's called grim world rim world oh rim world okay yeah. then i'm thinking I, I i don't know if i've heard of this one then yeah, this is, uh, like I said, made by the same people who made Prison Architects. It's it's a very similar game. That's it right there. The second, the, that's the, and it's, like, you could see, like, it's very cutesy, but it's also very bloody, and the dialogue in it is hilarious, because it'll, like I said, it'll say, like, like, it'll say, you're getting raided by pirates, and one of my favorite things was I got raided by pirates, captured one, 
he had a scratch on his leg. So I took him to the surgeon. <laughs> so it's just one of those games this, that has like wild potential. Yes. And yeah. the surgeon cut off his good leg <laughs> and gave him a robotic leg instead of taking off the, or fixing the scratch. So then he died out on the operating table because of the scratch. <laughs> so it, it's one of those games that like you have to have like a, a kind of a dark sense of even playing it because that's kind of where it works out the best. But at the same time, it just... It, it, I love it. But what have you been playing this week? I'm going to assume RimWorld's not on console, which is a bummer. Because I, I know those games tend not to be on console, which always kills me. I'm like, please. I don't think I it don't is. I don't know why it's so hard. Definitely when we're talking about the fact that consoles have keyboard and mouse support. Yeah. But also, I mean, of course, I mean, I want to play it on a controller if I can. But There's another uh, another PC-based game I was, uh, was kind of hoping came to consoles, but I don't think the first one did. And that's Risk of Rain 2. It's a 3D roguelike game. Risk of Rain is on Switch. Risk of Rain 1 is. Yeah, but why would Risk of Rain 2 not be? Uh, like, I I just don't expect it to be because it's for... It's so- on Switch. Risk of Rain 2 is on Switch? Twenty nine ninety nine. Wow. It, it's probably on other stuff. It's on PS4. Is it? Okay, that, that looks like a fun game to play. Yeah, interesting. I like how this starts up with the, the new <laughs> Kojima. The guy says, there, we fixed it. That's funny. Um, anyway, yeah, for me, I did not play very many games at all this week either. Actually, I don't think I turned my system on. For, well, no, I did. It's weird. So this week, I was trying to solve my crisis of, I, I shouldn't say crisis, my dilemma, my internal dilemma of what to play before I started Kingdoms of Amalur. And I was like, you know, I've got a bunch of games that I've not touched. So I was like, what do I have down here that I should start playing? I really liked Yakuza Kiwami. So I was like, I'm going to start Yakuza 0. I'm not digging Yakuza 0. I'm not very far, so oh, no. I'm not digging it nearly as much as I did Yakuza Kiwami. And there's a couple of things that I just, it's weird from a stylistic standpoint, but I don't like. There's a lot of cutscenes, whereas in Kiwami, every cutscene was fully mo-capped, or I shouldn't say mo-capped, but fully animated and lip-synced and everything with voices and whatnot. Uh, in this one, there's a lot of times where it's just a still of one character uh, but they're still having like facial animation, but not with their lips. So like you'll see their eyes wince and stuff, oh, but then yeah. you'll just see a text block and they're reading the text block off. And then you'll see that between two people. And I don't know, there's just a couple of things that it's also a little more rough looking. I didn't realize it came out before Kiwami. So even though it's like the same engine, Kiwami is better in terms of like the way it's optimized and everything. So I think, I don't know. I've heard a lot of great stuff about Zero, but I think I'm more interested in going to Kiwami 2. <laughs> and it's also kind of taking me away because I have a feeling then that Yakuza 3, 4, 5, and maybe even 6 may all play very similarly to Zero. I don't know because for sure. Because of how recent they are compared Well, because comparison. 3, 4, and 5 are PS3 games. Right. And if Zero was the first PS4 game... I, and and it did that. It doesn't bode well that the old games would not do that. I don't know if I could get past it. I really don't know. But I stopped playing it. Um, I decided to download a couple of games from my game share buddy. And I played one of them because I knew it would be short and sweet and earned me a platinum. And I actually did enjoy it. Uh, Foxy Land 2. I played Foxy Land 1 and it was okay. Simple but enjoyable enough for a platformer. 
And Foxyland 2 improved on it a lot. <laughs> Actually, there's co-op and a bunch of stuff if you want to do that, but there's way more collectibles, way more hidden areas, stuff like that. So it's one of those games that like clearly is kind of looking at Mario, but still does enough to feel different than Mario. Because you know Mario's never been a play style that completely clicks with me. The most I've really enjoyed a Mario game, definitely in like recent years, was Mario Maker. And because of the fact that there was, and I only played the first one, uh, Blaze had it. There was enough, and it's weird. The only levels I just truly liked were ones where people messed with the game so much in an attempt to try and make a Super Meat Boy, uh, Super Meat Boy, um, like level within it. So those were crazy because it's like the gravity was cranked way more up. They were doing all these different things and the level design was way more challenging than a typical Mario game. So I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. So that was the most fun I've had playing a Mario game. Uh, So while this one, again, this is not some like, wow, I absolutely love this. I didn't pay anything for it. Even if I did, it was like two fifty. Even if I would have, it would have been like two fifty or five dollars. So it's more worth it to me than like a sixty dollars Mario game that gives me the same feeling. Yeah, I'm like, why would I spend sixty dollars on that? Um, I always look to be proved wrong for Mario. I have, I understand why people like it. It just never clicked with me. But yeah, outside of that, I finally started yesterday, last night, playing Kingdoms of Amalur: Re Reckoning. And I'm a little bummed about one thing, and that is that it's not as much of a remaster as I think many were expecting for. Remake. It, well, it's not a. We knew it wasn't a remake. Yeah, but still. But even then, you kind of hope, and some of it's expectations set by certain studios, right? Right. You have like Blue Point's remasters before they started doing remakes. Yeah. You had their remasters, which are really good. Um, you know, making sure that they change control stuff. Like, you know, when they when they remade Gravity Rush for PS4, it was actually really good. It looked beautiful. It kept it did. certain things that were limitations, but based around, but, but ended up leaning into the art style, but finding a way to actually make them appear kind of more smoothly and interesting stuff. Like, you know, Gravity Rush had the thing where the Vita couldn't draw the distance very far, but mm-hmm. it's a world full of like floating cities. Yeah. So you can clearly look off in the distance and you should be able to see a floating city. But since it, they didn't want to use too much of the Vita to try and render that, instead they had it where everything that's in the distance is kind of like an outline, and it leans towards that cell-shaded look. So it looks cool. Off in the distance, you see like outlines of a city and like the buildings and stuff, and then as you fly closer, that detail starts to come with the outline. And I like that. And they kind of left that in, but still improved the draw distance, but left that in from an artistic standpoint. So you have that thing where you see like, okay, well, some remasters put a lot more work in, and then some remasters essentially are just like, well, we're going to lump all the content together onto one disc, which is at least nice, uh, and then we're going to essentially give it a frame rate boost and a resolution Polish. boost. Yeah. And so while I would have liked more, it, it, the thing about it is like it's, it's enough to where once I finally started playing and you get into it, once the world opens up and you get past the beginning part, which is not slow, it's tutorial. But it's a good tutorial. Like it makes sure that you play pretty much every type that you could potentially play, which is smart. You want to make sure people understand when you have a game full of so many potential options. Uh, so once you get outside of that, and I got into the main world, I was like, this game is so fun. Like there's just something magical about it. It's got like a high action uh, play style where it's like more of like a Devil May Cry or something like that, where it's fast paced and enemies are coming at you and see their things, but you dodge roll and stuff out of the way. So it's a lot different. It's much quicker. The the different types of weapons are so fun. The chakrams are so fun to play with because they're like a ranged melee weapon that you can throw and they'll do crazy combos and come back to you. Hmm. So having a blast with it, 
one of my big I I'm kind of got this feeling before, but it kind of reclicked with me as part of why I love this game so much. Partially because I've recently played Fable again. It feels like the evolution of the original Fable that I expected, more so than the evolution of Fable that we got in Fable Two. Like I don't dislike Fable Two, but it doesn't actually feel like Fable One to me in a lot of ways. And this feels more like Fable One. With you know multiple things, setting up your armor, having your different weapon types, some of the just general art style and way they choose about going stuff, and of course the fact that this game's all about fates and you're the fateless one. So you have this That's thing going cool. on where it's like you get to control your own fate. Well, if you think about it, Destiny's all about fate as well. Like you know you, they have the Wall of Fate and the Chamber of Fate where you look and can see what's going to happen in your world, but clearly you can go through changing that. It's one of those weird things. So I love it for that. Um, and also it's just like a, a real RPG. I don't know. It's part of why, like also playing it again, made me realize why I liked, um, Greedfall so much. It's like Greedfall taps into some of this while still tapping into that old school Bioware at the same time. The writing in Greedfall is, and that's where that comes from for sure. For sure. So, but regardless, I'm just having a a great time playing it. I do think it's a little overpriced for what it is. But my big question is, I, I think drop it $10 would probably be great, you know, realistically. Yeah. What is that, 40 Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I bought the collector's edition, so I can't say it, but I'm pretty sure it's 40 That's what most of their remasters have been. Um, but the big question comes in the long run from there's, an, there's a new expansion coming, and the developer that worked on the remaster is making the expansion, and it's all new content. As far as I know, it's content that was never planned. So this is them writing their own story, building their own stuff. And it stuff takes place in it. the Re Reckoning, right? And it takes place after the end of Re Reckoning. Yeah. Yeah. So the real question here is while the remaster is not necessarily a big show of how faith like how much faith they have in the franchise, which is still I'm glad that it exists. That's an important thing. But I'm curious what's gonna happen in this expansion. Is there going to be any kind of further graphical improvement since it's going to be textures and stuff made from the ground up? Are they just going to focus on making it look exactly like the remaster? Are they going to do more? That's a good question. I don't know. And it kind of makes you wonder, are they are like the area is going to be way bigger or are they going to try and keep it confined so it plays more in line with the original? I feel like as much as this is interesting, this remaster is less of a plan to me about where they want to go in the future and the expansion is going to be more of a show of what they want to do with the franchise moving forward. Yeah, but to be curious to see too because a franchise that was once dormant now is coming back to life in a way through a remake. Yeah, I mean it's or through a remaster, but yeah, um, oh yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was so weird that when they announced the remaster, apparently THQ Nordic were saying, or you know, different, they were saying that they've often liked the idea of bringing a franchise back and having new DLC for it, but they felt like of all the games they had done in the past with remasters, they didn't lend themselves quite as well to the idea of a new DLC. And I guess that makes sense because like a lot of the games have been like Red Faction Guerrilla Remastered, which probably is the second best option to actually have DLC because there's not some there right now there's not planned future content. Like Darksiders, they always intended to make a Darksiders three, but Darksiders is also a more confined series. Yeah. So it's like when you remake when you remaster Darksiders one and Darksiders two, but you know you have Darksiders three in the way, you don't want to make DLC 
And also there's other stuff within those stories that makes them harder. Whereas like Kingdoms of Amalur is kind of like, well, yeah, you can expand on the game post story end in a way that doesn't really ruin anything because of the way that this high fantasy open world is set up. And it's kind of like, this is the closest thing they'll have to something like Skyrim in terms of raw amount of content in a single game. It's still not as much as Skyrim, but it's like 80 hours yeah. or a hundred hours, something like that. If you really do everything, but we'll see what ends up happening with it. I know that it's weird. Cause like you have no experience with the game. And when you walked in today, you know, you saw the collector's edition that finally came and you were like, Oh, be careful. Here's some game breaking bugs, yeah. which I know doesn't make you want to play it. Yeah. That's the thing is like, I was kind of interested in this. Then I read on the game breaking bugs and apparently been fixed. So supposedly not apparently, <laughs> Well, like, apparently it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Well, you know how like you could say like maybe the might, and one of them always is like, okay, you almost have a designated more so yes or more so no, <laughs> yeah. kind of like that. Yeah. Supposedly, what you, what I'm more skeptical about until I hear more because that one guy said he was still locked into DLC, <laughs> and I'm like, that's that's kind of unfortunate. Like he like I want what I'm curious about did it update did he update the game while he was in the DLC? Now he's forever locked in there for that character. But let us know if you've been playing it and how, if you've had any experiences with it, because or any experiences with the bugs. Yeah, because the the only two that are in there are su- supposedly the the worst ones to get. Other than that, though, the game runs fine. And what people were saying. Yeah, um, I think once you know those are done, if you ever get a chance, even if it's just for like twenty bucks or something. Yeah, when it goes when it goes on until I'll probably pick it up. I don't think I pay forty dollars for it. I guess. Just, are you getting? Are you planning on getting the digital PS Five? Yes. Okay, I figured. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I was going to say, if nothing else, you can just borrow my disc. Because right now, you could, but your disc drive doesn't work. It does if I smack down on the top of it. That's true. I mean, I guess you could. Either way, um, yeah, that's about it. I guess my big question for you, because all year long, you've kind of just been in this little of like not quite knowing what you're expecting to play and then yeah. stumbling onto something. Yeah, and, and, and I actually really enjoyed that so far. Oh, but that's not, there's literally, there's no problem at all with that. I've even done it a few times this year, but like if you had to look with what you know is coming, looking into the future, what do you think is like legitimately the next game that you'd be getting day one? Still cyberpunk? Still cyberpunk. Yeah. Okay. That's not surprising. Yeah. Still cyberpunk. And then, um, what else is coming out in November? There's something else coming out in November. Um, consoles. Well, other than, <laughs> like, like games. I don't know. Um, I don't think that they've quite said anything besides, I mean, you know, we have like guesstimation things like Demon Souls, maybe. That's what it was. Yeah. It's not confirmed, but right. it's likely. Watch window. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we're going to go ahead and move into the community's take before we hit the news. Um, and let's see. My question this week, or Saul's question, rather, was very simple. It was, what is your favorite whether it ended up being a net positive or net negative, what was your favorite gaming company blunder of specifically the current generation that we are in? So, Saul, I'm going to start with you out of curiosity. What was your favorite that you can think of? My favorite? Like my most enjoyed one? Well, it can be favorite from how bad it was. Favorite from just essentially... My favorite from how bad it was is actually the same one that the Snow Jedi said, the Xbox One announcement of E3 2013. Because I wouldn't be a PS3 fan, or I would have been a PS3 fan, now a PS4 fan if it wasn't for that one. That's true. You were very hardcore Xbox at the time. Yeah. But then again, Shafe Dog also does say Stadia, and that was the one that I think we were all more supposedly on, you know, skeptical, but the, I'm thinking it's going to fail kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it kind of has. I definitely has. do too. It kind of has. So, my, my thing is like, 
and this one is one of those weird things, right? People look at Game Pass and all these things as like an, an Xbox experiment. And by because it's Xbox and it's under Microsoft, they ultimately view it as a Microsoft experiment. And I understand why, to an extent, they view this because Microsoft are some of the worst about starting something for just a couple of years and then just completely axing it. They did it with Zune. Them and Google. Yeah. Google's uh, the same both thing. Of them. They are so bad about con- like continually doing well, it, right? But the thing is, is, like when it comes within a sub-brand, if a sub-brand's doing something new, I think if it's a sub-brand that's been around for a long time, Xbox is clearly a sub-brand of Microsoft, right? right. Xbox has been around for well over a decade. There's no Two reason decades. at this point not quite. Coming up close, though. The Xbox came out in 2002. I thought the Xbox came out in 2000. No. Or 2001. No. PlayStation. Look. Xbox original console. Let's see. I think it's early 20, 2002 or something. That's still like that. psychotic. Even like two years is still Regardless, my years. point being, my point being that they've been around long enough that at this point, there's no reason. North America was late 2001. You're right. I was going to um, say. But more importantly, they've been around long enough at this point to where there is no reason to believe that something they do would have a higher chance of staying around. Now, Stadia, on the other hand, is Google doing their thing where this is a new sub-brand. Y'all remember Google Plus? It, even sa- it doesn't even sound like a thing saying it now. Like, say it out loud. It doesn't sound like it was ever a thing. No one really... I don't, I don't never met anybody that used it. I tried. When it first came out, I was like, this will be interesting. That was I'll, their social media platform, right? <laughs> I think so. But yeah, Stadia, it said, uh, Google Plus doesn't sound right. Right? Like, is that the right term? It doesn't sound correct saying it out loud. Well, clearly, I was able to guess that. Yeah, it was Google Plus. Okay, yeah, it was Google Plus. <laughs> it's because, like, now what, what, like, what is it? Apple Plus, Netflix Plus. It almost seems like a subscription yeah, to something. It does. Like, Google if, Plus. Like, what, if they what, say Stadia Plus, then I'm like, okay, yeah, that may, you know, even though I'm pretty sure, what's it, Stadia Pro? Is that what it's called? Is there something else, though, other than base Stadia? Well, there's free Stadia to where you can stream everything for free, but it's only 1080p, and then you buy every game you want. Then there's Stadia Pro, which includes a couple of games, but you can also stream in 4K. It's just so stupid. Yeah, it's Remember it's when weird. they said you could stream 4K 60 frames <laughs> with 13 megabytes down? No, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. You couldn't stream a 10-second video on YouTube at 4K with 13 megabytes down. Yeah, you really couldn't. So, Let alone a game. It's not like it's a surprise. I mean, it's kind of like PlayStation's like, technically they're right. Bare minimum of PS Now is 5 megabits or whatever. Yeah. But it's not good. Mm-mm. It's like you wouldn't want to play it that way, even if you technically can. It's just, you Though I'll give, I'll give them this. You can play with essentially no lag. I mean, very little. Uh Whereas there was people saying, at least early days, I don't know now, that early days of Stadia, even at their 13 megabytes or whatever it was, um, that they still ha- often had problems with the game just like not even registering what they were doing until way later. Yeah, and so, yeah, just, you can't play a game like that. Yeah, so hey, you know what? PS Now has at least earned its right to stick around <laughs> for what it is. But yeah, Stadia is a big one. I actually think that that's a pretty interesting blunder because they came out swinging and they, in terms of their reveal, but they did not come out swinging from a customer satisfaction standpoint. Um, <clears throat> the Xbox reveal is an interesting one because clearly it was. And if you really want to say, it's one of those things where, and he actually says Xbox One announcement, right? The announcement was bad. But then E3 was just worse because it was like 
Even though well, E3 I, wasn't as bad, it was compounding on the badness. Yeah, I'm specifically talking about the E3. And see, Josh kind of clarifies them because he says the reveal where they talk about it for two hours, he said, yeah, that one. And then he says, yeah, that was like three weeks before E3. I'm talking about E3. That, E3 was, was, that was even before three weeks. Yeah, um, that was like oh, two months. It was or months month. before. I, I, yeah. So. Um, and E3 was where uh, they were like, we're going to require all always online, which, to be fair, that was at a time in which... They pretty much every every console needs that now in a way. I to get I mean, the I, most out of your console. I, I agree that to get the most, but it shouldn't ever. No console needs it as a requirement. Yeah, that what game just came out recently? You can't <clears throat> play it offline at all. It's a weird one too. Tony Hawk's, I think. Yeah, I think Tony Hawk had something, and I don't remember. It I don't know be, if that's I'm, actually true. I don't own the game, but I did remember seeing something about it that online was required to some degree. Yeah, like, I, rec- I I I own it, but I've never. I'm going to play like two hours of that game. Yeah. Um, either way, I mean, that the E3 was clearly a bad. And I think the reason was, is like, okay, so you had the PlayStation reveal, which was handled really well, the PS4 reveal. And then a few weeks later, maybe even a few days later, or a few days before, a few weeks before, both the PS4 reveal and the Xbox reveal were very close to each other. So it's like February to March of 2013. No. <clears throat> well, the reveal, yes, but that's not... But the reveal was bad because that was actually when they were up there talking about real live TV football yeah. and racing and yeah, they were like, how it's a cable box. Here's a, yeah, here's a box for your for your all your cable needs. And I'm like, I don't I don't have cable. I don't want that. Yeah, it's like you you were speaking to something that the core audience didn't want. I'm not gonna say there was nobody who wanted it. I'm sure there was. But People when you're talking about a console that the point of talking about a console that early on, right, is to try and speak to the people who are most likely to buy it day one. And core gaming people are it. Core gaming people are not as worried about what your console can do from a TV watching standpoint as they are like, hey, can you show me some games? Yeah. So when you look at those two things, yeah, I think the original Xbox One announcement was bad. But E3 was so bad because PlayStation came out and basically just one, two, mic dropped them. That was really the problem. Xbox's E3 wouldn't have seemed nearly as bad if it wasn't for the context of the PlayStation showing. Being like, oh, by the way, you can let people borrow your games and you can do all these things and you don't have to have the console be online. Yeah, there's a lot of compounding stuff around there. That's a big one. Uh, let's see. Bring the Pain says Square Enix showcase of Final Fantasy VII Remake and Final Fantasy VIII was pretty fire. Maybe he didn't understand what we meant by blunder, but hey, that's a good thing, except for the fact that Final Fantasy VII Remake clearly did not come for a long time. <laughs> Boy, I'm going to put a message out to all you people who listen to us that use our Discord. Y'all, stop discussing stuff in the Community's Take tab. I just went there and That's not it. from the Community's Take. Yes. They're in here talking about TGS. <laughs> I saw Kiki posted a picture of like... Of his PC. Of his PC. Like, <laughs> I deleted it. I'm like, well, Kiki, what are you doing? Oh, boy. <laughs> to be fair, Kiki's going through some rough times. He might have just not realized what, what tab he was in. That's very likely. Uh, I like this one because it's, it's a good one, though it's still technically a blunder, right? For a second. Uh, our buddy Ryan over on Twitter, he says, Uncharted, a Thief's End gameplay. He posted a link and he said, just scrub to three minutes. It was my favorite. It's where the game crashed. So it wasn't where the game crashed. I guess maybe it did, but I don't think it did, actually. He, but he fell through the level because he died. So it's if you go and check it out, it's whenever they were playing at the... Uh, PSX PlayStation Experience, where they were playing the Uncharted: A Thief's End reveal, like gameplay, and the it was one of those things where 
a lot of people cheered because they were saying they were playing it live, but the game looked so good and crazy at the time that a lot of people thought it was just him being... You know, there's that thing about gamers where they're skeptical. Yeah. Where it's like, they don't trust that when you say you're playing real gameplay, that it actually is real gameplay. I'm like that. Like the first like two months we were seeing Spider-Man stuff, it didn't actually crash. I thought for some reason, I remember seeing the blue screen crash when that happened. Um, I think the crash happened during the the later gameplay thing that was... Uh, no, that's the vehicle chase. Yeah, that, when, yeah when the controller wasn't working. Yeah, I'm not talking about that one. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> for like the first two months that I saw Spider-Man, I'm like, we don't know if that's gameplay or not. And it was kind of. In I mean, some it, parts, it was more or less, yeah. But it was it was some of those weird parts in the game where I don't really know what to call them. It was like the QTE segments, but then they were like elongated. Like you remember, like every now and then, like um, the mission with the helicopter, you would tangle the helicopter, but then the rest of it, it looked like it could be gameplay, but it wasn't. It was a cutscene, and they did that that one time. That was what I remember vividly talking about while we were streaming something. Yeah, and I was like, I want this to be maybe that was E three twenty. 16, 17? 17, probably. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I get super skeptical about stuff like that now because I'm like, I don't know if this is gameplay or not. That yeah. was proof. But, yeah, that's that's kind of the fun part because, like, even if you see somebody with a controller on stage, it doesn't mean that they're just not pretending, right? And the reason you know that, it's like, if you ever watch people play something or stream something that's, like, really new or fresh, like, I was watching Kadikaris, uh stream the uh, Crash Bandicoot 4 thing and he was saying like he made him the point to be like this is me doing it and he like showed himself moving the analog stick and like it and he's like and i can jump and i can double jump and it was all responding to his exact time and it's clearly there's a distrust of people that just because you show somebody with a controller doing something does not mean they're actually doing there's it. okay there have been women that have gone on twitch before and have gotten caught watching videos of people's like league of legends uh, gameplay but they're acting like it's theirs. It's they're acting like they're playing the game, and and you know how the internet works is like there are cyber sleuths out there who are like I've seen that video before. That's not that's not them playing. And then they went and they found it, and then they compared it frame by frame by frame of the exact character moving everything. Yeah, thanks. so that's it how makes it your goes. money. My new favorite thing is the e girl uh, the e girl cycle. People who go to e girl's page. Steal all their content from it. They make sure that's like a lesser known girl. They steal their OnlyFans content and then they make their own OnlyFans pretending to be her. But then when they get called out, like, hey, this is like, you're this person, then you just go back to that original person you stole the content for. And then you're like, hey, I'll give you $100 to uh, make me a sign that has this name on it so that I could prove. So, so this is my name or something. And then they take it back and they're like, no, this is me for real. Here, look, I just put your name on this board. And like, they, they get like thousands of dollars a month just doing that. People are crazy. That's uh, that's what I'm learning here. Uh, but going back to the uh, Square Enix one, one of our uh, patrons over here, Mr. El Jehudi, he says Square Enix with Final Fantasy 15, Square Enix with Final Fantasy 7 remake, Square Enix with taking so much time to release final games, and lastly, Square Enix with showing games too early in development. Then in parentheses, he says bad, good, bad, good or bad, and he's rating each one of them. So clearly, 15 bad, bad on all of them except Final Fantasy 7 remake. And the Final Fantasy VII remake is an interesting one because it was bad that it took so long for a lot of people. Like, I understand that. And that, that is frustrating. It was, yeah. But at least the final, the final product, product was worth it. Seemed very worth it, which I, I think 15 could have hit the mark of. I, I still ultimately feel like it was worth it and I enjoyed it, but it could have really hit the mark of despite the weight and all the stuff going on with it. It still could have been amazing. What was the development time for 15? Like seven years? 
Well, from the final game that we actually got, like eighteen months. Well, okay, so like from when we knew because they about, completely from the ground yeah. up restarted development, and you know, like after it had already been re-reviewed. After all that time, I still had a ramen advertisement mission in that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you got to make up that money somehow. I guess also so. something that they fixed in Final Fantasy VII Remake. There's very little ad placement, if any. I don't know if I can remember any. Yeah, so that's a good thing. Uh, but yeah, that one's basically Square Enix is an entire answer. That was such a pleasant surprise. They have blundered a lot this this generation. It's oh, a yeah. rough thing, and we see them doing it. Excuse me, they, we see them doing it more. We saw them announce too early their game with their platinum games game, uh, Babylon's Fall. We saw them, of, of course, announce the new project Athia, Athia or whatever it's called for PS Five. I don't know why they are a glutton for punishing themselves. Money. That's all it is. Like, I think they're becoming Japanese Ubisoft. <laughs> but I feel like, and I'm just, I don't know. Clearly, it's not happening that way. But I feel like doing this consistently is going to eventually result in the net outcome being that people are, don't want to buy your games day one because they take forever. People don't want to pre-order because they take forever and they don't know when they're going to get the game. That's how I was with seven. And then you get to this point where even though you eventually ended up you know, kind enjoying of seven. folding on seven and enjoying it. It wasn't like it was planned so much as it was like, well, the game I thought I was going to be playing is not around, so I might as well play something. Yeah, the marketing was so bad for this game that it ended up being something completely different than what we thought it was, in a sense. More or less. But yeah, that's it's Square Enix has been an interesting one this gen. Uh, I'm going to go back over real quick and go to our boy uh, Atlas Unchained over here. He says, The PS5 event was pretty epic, in my opinion. Seeing the new Horizon finally was great. Worst blunder, for sure, though, is either Anthem or the UFC in-game ad thing, which is so gross. That's true, too. I was really surprised. Anthem is so seldom mentioned across all of these. Uh, actually, Anthem was only mentioned once, and by him. And that's pretty interesting, because... If you asked me what I thought one of the biggest answers was going to be, I would have thought No Man's Sky would have been potentially on here. The only reason I thought maybe not was because of the fact it's that they turned it around. Arc. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anthem hasn't had its full redemption arc. It has. Gr- I've talked to more people in the last few months that have been like, I finally started playing Anthem, and I actually really like it. It's been an interesting thing. I've talked to a couple of people uh, who... I've met them and they're like, oh, I love Destiny. And they're like, but I got a little tired of Destiny, so I wanted to play something else. So I started Anthem and I'm actually really enjoying it. And that's a weird conversation to have because I always have felt like I'm in the minority of, I actually like Anthem a lot more than Destiny. <laughs> that's a weird conversation. I know it. Um, the highs I've had with with Anthem versus the highs I've had with Destiny no. are very close. No. Is what I'll say for me. No. Hey, this is not from someone who's barely played the game. No. So my opinion is at least has more weight than yours. <laughs> no. There's a reason people are barely playing the game. I'm not saying that there's not a reason people are barely playing the game, but I think a lot of that is the expectation of going into it. And, not going, and I guess it's, it's kind of where you are, right? It's like when you get told that there's problems or there's not enough end game content or whatever it is for something you're not already involved in then you go well why would i want to start and really play that yeah like why so, is- but the, the truth is really the same for destiny it's just that destiny of over time i'm talking about early days right when destiny first came destiny had all the same problems as anthem besides the really really Doesn't, early crashing does anthem have any in game content tons is it like the problem with anthem i, well, hear I this- shouldn't say tons now and again, I think at the end of Anthem 1, the in-game content was very similar to in-game content for Destiny 1, when Destiny the 1 The end launched. of Anthem 1? Wording is weird. But the end of, <laughs> when Anthem launched, 
Yeah. Post-game content for end of game for Anthem when it first launched was very similar to end of game content for Destiny, in my opinion. Destiny had a little bit more. Well, yeah, I'll give they, it that they credit. Did that, they always do the weird staggered raid release thing, like where yeah. the, the expansion comes out, then a month later the, the raid comes out or whatever. Yeah, but even later. then, I mean, you know, the raid is still a singular piece of content. And if, if you even if you do look at it, which, to be fair, I was done with Destiny before the raid even came out because I was like, this is bad. I don't oh, see, I never this. played Destiny that early. If you're referring to when me, you, and Blaze played, we never played that. That was way, that was way after the raid. We just couldn't get strong enough to do the raid. The raid was like 36, and I think we couldn't get. You might past be right. 30, I think you might be right. Something. Yeah, Vault of Glass. Yeah, because we did attempt it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're but right. we couldn't my, find my people, or off. we couldn't we we couldn't get. But regardless, I got to the point where to get to the point where you could be strong enough to do Vault of Glass, you had to constantly grind these same three or whatever. Yeah, it was, when, thankfully, uh, strikes which were terrible. We'll see. Thankfully, to me. Um. I actually didn't mind strikes, but um, Tanky King fixed that. I'm waiting yes. for that expansion to be on Anthem. And I, it's how long has Anthem been out now? Taken King was a full year. Taken uh, King was two years. Two years later. Two years later. Okay, so if we're gonna give it, if we're gonna give Anthem the same, which I don't know that we should, because I it, well, realistically have raids. <clears throat> I mean, it, it it has strongholds. Yeah, but that's it's like a strike, got, isn't it? Isn't nah. a stronghold like a twenty minute activity at most? They're longer than strikes for sure, and they're more. They're yeah, because strikes are like twelve minutes long or they're, ten minutes long. Yeah, and they're more involved in my opinion. But at the same time, and there's like weird things they're doing within them that I like. Which to, again, I'm more talking about Destiny because Destiny's done a lot to make strikes better and strike playlist and strike scoring and stuff that they did in Destiny One, which I don't think is actually back in Destiny Two yet. It is uh, to a weird extent. Okay, so but my point being is that eventually they found ways to make it more interesting, which is the same here. Anthem was like, we're going to make uh, where you can get these different things and find these secrets and get your score up, and that score will relate to a thing that you can get for seasonal rewards. They've done a lot to actually make that better, and I do like going back to Anthem for w- a couple of weeks every couple of months. Every time See, I've I done like, it, it's very fun. I like Anthem. I just yeah. don't like. I'm not. I'm not about having a sinkhole of time be available to me, but then the the outcome and the the worthiness of that sinkhole is nothing. Yeah. So Anthem has been out for what? Almost, we're coming out on we're coming to two years because it was a March release, was it not? Was it? Yeah. So I guess my thing here is like Anthem will eventually have to February. be January. Yeah, January twenty fifth, twenty nineteen. Right. So by the time that we reach January twenty fifth of next next year, is it January or February? January. I'm so confused. Oh, you're right. It did get delayed. I'm so confused. <laughs> that is weird, actually. Oh, but didn't it have early access? I no, forgot. it had the beta. That's the one we played the first time. Where like, I didn't. You did. I never you, got around to it. Are you sure? You're positive. So we did no play way. the... Wait, we, no, then we did play the base game together. I don't Me know. And you played no, the we, game. We, we played the beta. I was going to say, because that was There was where, something before that, though. That was where I was having uh, the frame rate issues, but it, it was fixed by turning off boost mode. Or no, it was fixed by turning off the... Um, what is the other... Not boost mode. What is the other thing called? Resolution scaling? Or yeah. Su- uh, super sampling? Super sampling. Yeah. So either way, okay, February. Let's just say it's February because that's, that's what it says here. So by February of next year, if they don't have it, I think it's fair to be like you've not, in the same two-year period it took for Taken King to fix this game, you've not fixed yours. Well, don't forget, though, that Destiny also had two parts of expansion or two pieces of an expansion into that game where this hasn't had anything. Well, I mean, it, it has, but they're all, they weren't expansions. They were all, they were all free. 
they were were they actual expansions though, or were they just events? I mean, they yeah, yeah, but they added a lot of new content and a lot of new area to explore, that, and like new that, map. That tells you about the game now. I've not seen any of that. Yeah, or heard. No, of they've any added. Of that. They, they've added it, but I mean, it just like I'd say, arguably, the first two DLCs for D- Destiny were, were not garbage. Good. They were yeah. not good at all. So yeah, same thing. If anything, I'd actually think that the expansion that they've had here, since they were also free because of the content being fun and not having to be paid for while still expanding the game, I'd almost argue that what they've done in the two years up until Taken King has been better in Anthem. But the thing is that the end goal has to be taking, and it can't be, you can't, it has to be to the Taken King level of like essentially fixing the game to where everyone who thought it had potential comes back in a flooding number. Yeah. That's that's what what Taken King was. And that's what, um, Shadowkeep was. Yeah. So when you have that going on, I mean, I hope Anthem ends up being the redemption arc thing, but I'm just really surprised that people didn't mention Anthem. Either way, it's one of those things. Uh, head over to Facebook real quick and grab a couple of those. Blake Pope said Xbox One launch or Crackdown 3. Uh, Crackdown 3 was an interesting one. Yeah, Crackdown 3 was just a big blunder. That was essentially Microsoft being Square Enix for a little bit. <laughs> Talk about this game that's going to come out seven years later. Clearly, it wasn't that bad. Uh, Mr. Jeff Schrock said he agreed. Uh, let's see. Allie Coble says EA getting downvoted to Oblivion on Reddit, which that was an interesting time period, and that actually was also in revolving to Anthem, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it? No, that was Star Wars Battlefront 2. Yeah, you're right. That it was, was right around all the microtransactions yeah. stuff. That's right. I knew it was it, relatively close. It was though. the sense of pride and accomplishment thing for the... Like, <laughs> Followed by Nick saying pride and accomplishment. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we have one here. And this is interesting. EA are showing up relatively often. Uh, EA getting rights to Star Wars. Although Respawn's take on Fall- Fallen Order was actually really good. I agree. The EA thing was odd. And it's it's more odd because neither game was really bad. But it was like clearly not what people were asking for. And then they both had periods where they had to eventually become good. Yeah. Because like, there's a lot of people that say that Star Wars Battlefront 2 is actually a really great game. It just launched in a bad state. And with all the drama surrounding the microtransactions. But they've done a lot of work since to make it better. Yeah. Then you had... The first Battlefront, which was always online at a time when people were still not quite loving that, a little too early, and then you had the situation where it's like, it doesn't even have a story, so I can't play it without playing online, but what I liked about the original Battlefront games were just playing through the campaigns by yourself or with a friend or whatever, and that was Which fun. were weird, too. Those weren't even like real stories. But they were still mission-based campaigns. Yeah. And I mean, I agree. They weren't stories, but they were fun to play because you could play them how you wanted to. I think Rogue Squadron was the first one to have like a narrative, right? I think you're right. That was the PSP one, wasn't uh-huh. it? Uh-huh. Oh, boy. Who made Rogue Squadron? Was it still Pandemic? I would I, I would think so. I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember that orange gas mask logo popping up on, this, on PSP for that. I think you're right. No, developers are Factor 5. Pandemic may have already been closed by then. I played another Pandemic game on PSP <laughs> then. There was a lot of Pandemic games on PSP. There were. Uh, but also Battlefront 1 and 2 were on PSP. From I remember two being on there. I don't remember one, though. Maybe it wasn't one. I know two for a fact was as well. Yeah. But maybe I played, one I played, wasn't. I remember playing two. Still Seth, Seth had wasn't two, two the one that came with the silver Vader P- or the, the white, white Vader, Vader PSP? The one that Seth had that got Pandora. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay. Well, that's enough of those. Thank you all for participating. I don't think I saw anything else that was worthy of, uh, you know, looking at. But there was a lot of interesting ones. I mean... 
I was a little surprised at how many of them were geared at one thing, but I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of blunders. Maybe it's just the ones that stand out in your mind the most. Yeah. I'm surprised somebody said Evolve. That Evolve was, that was, was last a, gen. Well, it, it was cross gen, I think, technically. Was, I, yeah, I guess so. Actually, I think Evolve was supposed to be cross gen and then it wasn't. Actually, you might be right on that now that I think about it. I remember something. Ooh, excuse me. Something was old Total Rock Studios. Like, like a it was, it was next coffin. gen only. Yeah, but it, it was, it was so more far, about what it ended up being. So far ago that it felt like a last, <laughs> like a different lifetime. Oh, weird times, man. Okay, moving on into the news and the bulk of the show here. Really importantly, we have the very first thing that we're going to talk about, which we kind of teased in the cold opening, which is cross-gen upgrades coming back around and being a source of controversy, specifically with Control, as earlier this week, some users found that if they owned the deluxe edition of the of Control, which launched alongside the base version at you know original game launch, uh, it was not supposed to be covered under this upgrade plan for the next-gen version, but they were able to freely download and upgrade to the Ultimate Edition therefore giving them access to the upgrade for next gen as well. This has since been fixed and is no longer available, but proves that when Remedy and 505 games insisted that the upgrade plan wasn't possible across different versions of the game, and that's why they had to limit the upgrade to specifically the Ultimate Edition, that that was clearly false. Yeah, (laughs) Um, And a lot of people were very upset about this. Yeah, I think at this point in time, it's, it's, it's time to stop supporting Remedy. And 505 just... And see, the, the thing that kind of makes it hard is Remedy's hands are ultimately tied by what 505 wants to do because 505 is the publisher. Right. So I don't know if I should say that we shouldn't support Remedy so much as if Remedy's next game is still under 505, then maybe we don't support it. See, even then, yeah, it's just weird. Because I, I don't... I mean, actually, I love the game, and I think up until this, everything that they were doing with the game was great. And I think that they've had this situation where... It could have been because of them. It could have been because of the publisher. We don't really know who was at. It, it seems like this would be something on the publisher more than anything. Um, so it's it's not a good look for him. And I think, again, every time that something comes up about Control, there's always another game that's like, by the way, we're going to do a free update. That's kind of the problem. It's like they keep getting whopped over the head by these other games being like, oh, we're a game that you like and enjoy. Also, we're going to be free because conversely to that, Borderlands 3 this week joins the group of games offering free next-gen upgrades, announcing 4K 60 frames per second for the single-player for next-gen versions, and it'll be a free update. Uh, Four-player split-screen co-op also coming as a feature for the next-gen version since they have extra power for that instead of just being two. Uh, They also talked about their planned cross-play for next year, other stuff. They're going to bring the two-player split-screen vertical uh, to uh. PS4 because people asked for it. They people Who? wanted it. Who? So they said we're going to give it. <laughs> or maybe it was I think it was vertical. That's what they were talking about. That's our next community's take. What do you prefer, vertical or horizontal and why is it horizontal? Split screen has never been the same since we moved to to HD because it's like that 43 that 43 aspect ratio lends itself to cut into smaller squares that are all equal much better. It does. And you have the Maybe that's why vertical is it has to be a thing now. Probably, because it's the only way to get two equal halves, yeah. realistically. Well, okay, I mean, I will. Technically, if you do it horizontal, right, you get two equal halves, but you see nothing. Yeah, it's, it's like your field of view is so weirdly it, cropped. It has to do that thing where it crops it. So instead, you know, you've had games like, do you remember Resident Evil, uh, Resident Evil 5? 
Do you remember how it did it? Yeah, like it was offset. It was like a, and it created a black square here, yeah. a black square here, and they kind of just did this. And I think they were slightly overlaid, but they well, that's what I mean by offset. They weren't on top of each other; they were offset from each other. But they still Which, slightly overlaid each other yeah. to try and give you a full minimized 720p. Yeah, uh, it, it was, was very it weird. It was ugly. I don't like it when games do that. But at the same time, I actually did prefer that to having just the full hard line with a full field of view, but that's cut from top and bottom only, like I've seen some games do. That's so, true, yeah. Yeah. But it goes back to what I'm talking about. I, I guess it depends on the game, right? I think that's what depends on the vertical. Vertical, I don't think, is a problem at all in certain games. I think Rocket League, when you're on the same screen, I think. That just, no. But it works for Rocket League, in my opinion. Like there's, to, there's a couple of games that it works well on. Then there's a couple of games that are like, why would you? First-person shooters are hard because so much of your field of view is taken up by your gun uh, and your hands. Anything that's not fast-paced, I think, is what it works the best on. Yeah, sure. Because anything when it's fast paced becomes annoying. It just depends on how much visual information you need to take in at a given time. I guess that's true. Like Terraria is like that, but that works really well because it's not a fast paced game. At least not early, early game. It's not. not yeah. Play Terraria. But also, your field of view is so different because it's a flat plane. Like Minecraft works well, fine, cut it's, in it's, half. Uh, yeah, I guess it's a flat. I guess it, you would consider it flat. I mean, it is. Even though there's, yeah, I was going to say there's technically like ups and downs to it, but it all still remains yeah, flat. But it's a, it's it's a 2D, 2D plane. That's all I got to say. It's 2D. <laughs> 2D means. Two dimensional plane. 2D means flat. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. Well, I mean, still. Uh, but yeah, the, like, you know, Minecraft is a great example of a 3D game that works split screen vertical. Yeah. No problem at all, fine. actually. I would much, pl- much rather play Minecraft vertical split screen than horizontal. Yeah. Yeah, I would too, I think. so. I think that's how we played it at your old house one time. Yeah, when we were playing on 360. And then, actually, I'll give Minecraft credit. I guess it's so few games did four-player split screen because of how hard it is to do for the RAM uh, on when we had weaker consoles. Yeah. Um, Minecraft was one of those rare games. It was like, whoa, this is one of the few games I've seen let you do four-player on the same like you know split-screen couch co-op. And it works well, too. And it looks great because it actually is cutting that into four equal yeah. wide spots. But yeah. when you're trying to do two, it either looks dumb, super wide, but no height, or it looks very... Oh, offset and yeah. ugly. It's yeah. weird, but... All right, so next thing up, though, Crash Bandicoot 4, it's about time, revealed its last playable character in the way of Crash 1's Tana. An interesting twist, considering that this game is supposed to be like a direct sequel to Crash 3, and Crash 2 and 3 only featured Tana insofar as her photo being above like the mantelpiece of the fireplace of their home. Uh, I think that was actually only Crash 3. Crash 2 just completely did away with her. (laughs) And then she's just referenced in Crash 3. But uh, this Tana is seemingly from another dimension with an all-new design to boot. If you are a fan of Crash Bandicoot and you saw this, I'm curious to where people stand on this. I like the idea. I don't quite love the execution yet. Of course, i got to play the game to see more. It just seems odd. And more so because they did... (sighs) I get it to an extent because he's from another dimension. And for some reason, there's this idea that when you come from another dimension, you have to look totally different. But the weird thing is that the PlayStation blog post they did for this shows multiple designs that they tried out for her before landing on the one they did. And the problem with the Tana that they ended up landing on, have you seen this yet, Saul? No. Okay. The only reason I'm going to show you is because this is the most bland design that I can possibly think of for a character. And the problem that comes from here is that like 
it looks like you're trying to design your character to fit in Overwatch, which is just such a it, like, yeah. It's too it's it's too much of a cliche design nowadays. What's the Overwatch character? I, I don't play so, so, Sombra, Sombra, something like that. Sombra doesn't that kind of look like her? No. <laughs> Am I thinking of the wrong person? Then? I think so. Not see like go to a cleaner image though. That that image is hard to de- like. That first of all, it's an ugly like thumbnail. It is an ugly thumbnail, but I, it, I just go to that picture right there. It, that's that's not true to it at all, though. Is oh. the problem. <laughs> I'll just quickly show you. To it. But the problem is, is that they were like, we wanted it to be edgy and interesting, and you just look at it, and you're kind of in this position of like, nothing about this is really all that unique or interesting. And I don't. I guess that's what it feels like to me. This is the okay. There it is. Also, I the the art style for this game is growing on me. Yeah, it's not bad at all. So you, you see her. Yeah. Again, she's like, oh, punky with a shaved side head. I think what you're taking with that, well, I guess Sombra does have a, a shaved head in Overwatch. I, I'm not saying she looks exactly like her, but just similar enough. So Yeah, I guess I, I could see what you're talking about, the shaved head with like the, the wisp of hair that comes down on one side. Yeah. It's like, well, it's like, oh, she's the rule breaker. That's kind of what it is. That's, but, yeah. Like, look at this, right? So this is showing, this is the video where they first announced it, and then they showed both of these concept arts look better than that. They do, especially the one on the left. Like, dude, that looks fantastic. Actually, that looks very fitting for Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, it's like that's... an it's like a Australian Outback adventurer fit. She kind of looks like Steve Irwin's wife. I can't think of her name right now. Uh, but, like, you know, it... It, and a huge boomerang, which would have been cool from, like, you could make cool gameplay mechanics with a huge boomerang, but she ends up with a throwing claw instead. And even if you're going to do a throwing claw, doesn't this look more interesting than what we got? Yeah, both those look better than what we have. So, yeah, that's just one of those weird things where it looks like what they decided to do with her is just make her, I mean, they made, they made her thick. I'll give her that. I'll give them that. But she just, actually, that even looks more interesting. <laughs> but, yeah, the way that it's finally put into the game, I don't know. I just it looks like such a common design now that it's a little disappointing. But I don't necessarily hate seeing her back in the game. And considering that the reason she was originally taken out was because she was just like your damsel in distress with huge boobs and what was supposed to be kind of like a family friendly kid game. Yeah. And yet you have this again, supposed to be like this uh she was supposed to be based off of Jessica Rabbit. Which is not a family friendly thing at all. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, no, <laughs> no. Again, it's like I, Lola Bunny in um in in um Space Jam. Space Jam. That's not family friendly. <laughs> uh boy, that's not family friendly. HBO Max shared a thing being like, "Who had a crush on Lola Bunny?" I'm like, "I saw that." Don't yeah. do this because <laughs> you're gonna um, get up a lot of answers. I'm gonna do the one thing I haven't done in a while: to use the bathroom. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm gonna talk about GameStop failing while you're doing I, that. Talk about that enough. <laughs> For anybody who doesn't know yet, GameStop continues to experience trouble as they announce the closure of at least 400 stories by the stories stores by the end of fiscal year 2020. While I personally doubt it'll happen this quickly, one of the things I kind of take away from this is that you should probably be very careful about pre-ordering things that have limited stock through them for the next couple of, or really probably moving forward because. Limited things like collector's editions and consoles, like, you know, the new gen of consoles that they're sending out things for you to pre-order through. If they go under at any point in time, your pre-order may not be guaranteed. So it's just something to keep in mind. I like GameStop to an extent. I don't always back them up. I used to work for them. They're not a great company to work for. But it's one of those things where I still have all the memories of whenever I really enjoyed shopping there. 
but it's one of those things where it's, it's hard for me to, I know it technically will pull them under more if you say don't pre-order stuff from them, but it's just one of those things where if it's something that you really want to make sure you get because it's more limited and lower chance of you getting it, don't pre-order from them. Uh, sadly, as that is. 400 stores is a lot, though. If I remember last year, they closed like 388. Uh, and they have multiple thousands of stores. It's still a, ultimately a small percentage, but maybe they need to close these to, be, to reach a point of profitability. And maybe we do still see them stay around. Who knows? If you like GameStop and this shakes your faith in them, I'm sorry, but that's just what it is. Um, next thing up news-wise is something Saul wouldn't care about anyway, so I'll go ahead and start on it. As part of Sony's PSVR Spotlight Week, we got announcements of updates for existing games and new PSVR titles to look forward to. First up, and this is pretty surprising, like it legitimately surprised me, Minecraft on PS4 will get a free update allowing players to experience the full game in the VR mode. Uh, This is apparently something that's been planned and have been being worked on since PlayStation originally went and told them that they could do cross-play and released the Bedrock Edition that had cross-play. So... The update is planned for later this month, free to all existing owners. That's really cool. I like to see that. I think Minecraft's a great game for VR. And we saw them do it with like some of their AR stuff from Microsoft, where they were walking around and viewing it. But I think VR is much more fitting, personally, to me, with what that game is trying to do. So next thing that they showed is Twilight Path, a fantasy adventure game due out next month for PSVR that sees you solving puzzles as you make your way through the world in an attempt to escape Hitman 3's VR support seemingly has been confirmed to support the whole game as well as imported levels from important is what it sounds like I said, but imported levels from Hitman 1 and 2, which are also supposed to be fully playable. Um, It's weird and it actually looked kind of cool. If you haven't seen it, just go check it out if you're a fan of what VR can actually do from an interesting standpoint when you let a whole game utilize it. You can walk up behind guards and like tap them on the shoulder move to the other side, and as they turn around to look, you can prepare yourself to just punch them when they turn back around so that you knock them out without them ever noticing you. Now, of course, you could probably do something to them without that, but it's in terms of just thinking outside of the box. Like Most people would probably think, Hitman, this is a game where you don't want to be moving forward. You're probably going to put the little thing around their neck and strangle them and then get out of their way. But it's fun that you have this kind of freedom to play with them and do stuff that specifically VR allows you to do in kind of that immersive... Uh, um, what they call it, uh, it's not immersive gameplay, because, but essentially you choosing what you want to do in the moment and getting to do it, kind of like Saul mentioned with the Metagross Solid thing. That's really cool. Uh, but finally, the last thing that they talked about in their big spotlight was Until You Fall, a fantasy sword fighting game where you choose an archetype and battle enemies coming later this month on September 29th. Go check that out. It actually looks really fun. And in case y'all have not heard me talk about it, one of my favorite things from... PS Move, which I I always wanted from PS uh, VR, was the very first PS Move game was their Sports Champions or whatever, PlayStation Sports Champions. And it had, yeah, PS Move Sports Champions. What a game. And it had this sword fighting mode where you could use a shield and you could go around and, you know, parry with your shield you could shield bash and everything with it by doing the motions and it was really fun and it was a great workout and i had a 
great time doing it and it was two player so if you had enough room you could have two of you doing it and while of course psvr can't quite be a two-player experience because of what it is i like the idea of being able to go online with somebody sync up your headset you know have your chat going and then you just sword fight with them and if that's what this allows you to bring i will probably be getting this this is like for a lot of people beat saber is the workout game for them and that's cool and i even like the idea of that but this is a little more fun to me because instead of doing the same song over and over again, which will eventually I feel like get tiring, even though it's a good workout and maybe fun in the way it's set up, this is fun because every time that you fight, you can just be as crazy as you want to. Playing with friends would be really fun. So when this comes out, if any of you have PSVR headsets, I will be grabbing it. If you want to play with me, if it is multiplayer, haven't quite seen if it is yet, hit me up, holler at me. I'll be glad to play it. That is September 29th. So yeah, later this month. That would be probably the first time I've played my VR in quite a while. I think I'm going to try PSVR Iron Man. If you've played that and you like it, let me know. And I've had a couple people say that they thought it was fun, if not a little too limiting. But I'm interested to try it out. Next up, Ubisoft Forward event. Uh, Their live stream came and went this month, or this week rather, and brought with it confirmation of the Prince of Persia Santa Time remake, which is interesting. Uh, Coming early next year, we reveals the Immortals Phoenix Rising game that was originally called Gods and Monsters. Sadly, Saul and I were talking. This is one of those situations where I actually feel like the Gods and Monsters working title was a lot better than this. It was simple, but it also didn't sound like you were trying to be edgy and interesting. Uh, But they brought updates of other games. Uh, There were some games that were confirmed to be coming to PSVR. Uh, I don't know if this actually happened during the event or after, but the Division 2 is going to be playable on PS5, is what I meant to say, Uh, PS5 and Xbox through backwards compatibility. But more information for games like uh, Rainbow Six. We got Rainbow Six seems to be actually updating the game for a free update instead of just being supported through backwards compatibility. So got a lot of stuff there. Uh, but one thing that Saul earlier, I mentioned that I didn't get to talk to him much about games this week. The one thing I did get to talk about with Saul was the Prince of Persia remake, which is an interesting one because as it's shown right now, ugly, ugly game. This is the problem I see. And I get it too. The first time that I looked it got, which again, they cannot do anything with leaks. <laughs> Ubisoft are the worst company when it comes to getting leaked. The morning of, we got like a full-on screenshot and everything of like people looking at things from Prince of Persia. It was leaked. And it did not look good. The stills didn't. But I was willing to give them the chance that maybe the stills were just roughly captured and didn't show the game very well. Gameplay is okay. I'll give it that. Yeah. It looks solid. And what kind of got me after I kind of got past what it was... One of the first things they show is character models. And the character models, the best way I can describe it, and Rude Days 93 one of our patrons over on Discord, actually said it before I got a chance to type it out. But it's exactly how I felt. When I finally got a chance to sit down and fully watch it, and it came to the prince and the, prin- and the princess, I guess. I don't, can't remember what she is. I think she's like the sultans. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what it is. Daughter. Yeah. yeah Either way. And now I'm thinking of Aladdin. <laughs> but <laughs> the way... prince person really is. It's true. Aladdin with time time <laughs> but when they showed them a whole new do you remember world. when we watched the reveal at the game awards for the fast and furious game and it got to that vin <laughs> diesel character yeah, model. yeah and something about it was like it's weird the the first thing that your eyes drawn to is the character model mm-hmm. which looks bad it, it looks like what you remember last gen looking like but actually it does look better but it looks 
off and flat and kind of last gen while still kind of early as early as this gen. So when you start looking at it, you have this thing of like, why does that look so bad? And that's exactly what happened here is the first time I watched it, I was struck by that immediately. And I was like, Oh, that just looks so weird and flat and kind of gross. And it doesn't even look like the Prince to me. Uh, and then it backs up and then it ends up taking over to where the rest of the gameplay, I wasn't even thinking about anything other than how bad the character models looked. I decided to watch they look it again. Out of place. Yeah, they do. And I we this is alpha footage, which I know is weird for a game like this. It just means that they're showing a game in a pretty early build. I've learned we that don't that know means how early it is. Nothing anymore really. Unless they listen to feedback and they change it. Well, the reason I say that, right, is like a good example of a game that clearly if they were to try and show you real gameplay of beforehand was not going to work until like the last two or three months. It was like the last, right up until they, the game went gold. It's like the last month or two, God of war was in really bad shape. Like it, there were, it, the game was crashing a lot. They had a lot of optimization problems that they weren't getting done. The new God of war, or the, 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 the most, yeah, the most recent God of war from 18. So Shuhei was talking about like when he was seeing it, it wasn't looking good. Like, you know, they were able to hyper optimize that little sliver. They showed us at E3, which was in real time, but Everything else for the game was not working together right. So there is an importance of specifying that something is an alpha. Because you can have something in alpha that is not doing a good job well, I'm not saying, and then launch in clearly a fantastic shape. Yeah, I'm not saying that that's not an important distinguish to make. But I also am saying like it's it's not worth getting your hopes up over anymore because of this. Because almost, sure. almost, yeah, almost guarantee you, because we are not alone in saying that Prince looks off. But I almost guarantee you that if nobody made that vocal, they, this model would be the same. I agree. Yeah. And, and I do think the thing is, is that this model could have already been changed since we've seen, since they've captured and decided to do all this. We don't know. Which you will, you will never know. You never, never, you never, unless somebody comes out and says, oh, well, he looked different before that. No, it, like then people are going to say that's a lie. Like the that, other thing is the effect that the lighting system in the game currently has on the thing. You don't realize sometimes how much lighting affects the way something looks. Oh. There's a, there's a high chance that in this game alone, that they don't even have to change the character models. All they have to do is change the lighting See, and how it reflects on them, and it may change everything. You know how? Didn't they feel plastic to you? Didn't they look well weird? You know, you know how back in like old old because I, I don't think any computer generated cartoons have to do this, but like back when like SpongeBob was coming out and it was still being hand drawn for most of it, it was just being animated by computer. Do you remember how you used to be able to tell when something was going to be interacted with? It was more vibrant on screen, sure, than the rest of it, and that's because it was it was having to be animated. It looks like that Prince looks more vibrant than everything else around him, mainly just because of how he looks. There's the lighting on him looks bad. Now the the his face his face doesn't look bad at all, um, in my opinion. I don't think it, it just quite looks, looks like the Prince. It just looks different. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, it just it just looks different from what we knew. But also, like when you think about it, because this actually had me thinking about it as well. Um, Think of the prince from the first one, Sands of Time, to yeah. Warrior Within. That's a completely different person. Oh, it is. And but he, the but but across all three games, I think though. But now, if you look, he looks more like the Warrior Within prince. Kinda. Or he looks more like that transition would be more sensible than the first time. Sure. And I almost okay, I, like dude, this. Yeah. That's, that does not look like the prince at all, uh -uh. and it's the scene at the very beginning of the but trailer it's weird because where one, he has the cowl on his head, like you know the this one does. I don't know what you actually call that. That one does look like the prince. Interesting, yeah. So like, or a lot closer, at least. It's weird. Well, yeah. and it looks more like 
what you would expect him to look like See, look. nowadays. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't. Like, and that could be very well because there's there's lack of shadows on his face. But I, yeah, so I that's a big thing right here. Yeah, he looks it, way too. His whole lit, entire face is blown out, which makes him look overexposed and interesting. But either way, what I started noticing is whenever like that actually looks better. Surprisingly, yeah, when it's so all dark, <laughs> it's like the the it's it's the inverse of Halo. Halo, yeah. So Halo Infinite, right? When they showed it, the problem was oh, okay. the problem was that the game was always in dark, and so it crushed all the textures to where they look flat. But the moment you get the game into sunlight, <laughs> there's actually a lot of detail. This is the inverse. When they're in the dark and you have whatever probe lighting that they're putting on these people to give you the the lighting that's not actually would be there. I'm just gonna make that my Discord avatar. You know what that looks like? That looks like a picture of a king in in, a- in Age of Empires two in the original time it was made. <laughs> that looks like the avatar of a character in an RTS game made in 1999. Oh uh, yeah, but from this screenshot that I'm looking at right here, which is shows him and the the girl in the dark, uh, they actually look really good. So it's almost like when there's light in this game, it's overexposing and eating everything up. It does. That looks like. Hold on. That looks like Sims. No, it looks like Civ Six. Uh, uh, what's the uh, 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 female ruler from Egypt? Uh, uh, I can't even. Oh remember. God! Why do you have to say it this way, Saul? You, you hyped it up too much, Cleopatra. Cleopatra. <laughs> Saul's over here digging through. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> it's some kind of weird hyper stylized they're doing. Yeah. So either way. Right here, this looks totally different. Even zoomed in, that looks totally different than what you showed me a second ago. That looks ago. like a PlayStation 2, uh, what's her name from Uncharted? I can't think of her name now. Elena? Oh, uh, um, not Elena. Um, Nadia. Yeah, not, not no. Nadia. Chloe. Chloe. Yeah. That looks like a PlayStation 2 Chloe. To me, this still looks better. Talk about the left one. Oh, right here. Yes. yes. Yeah, that looks bad. I'm talking about right here. Yes, I yeah, can't see th- that. There's this, a glare on your screen. This darkened screenshot. Yes, okay. Every Even bit of it that looks print, better. That press looks like... Jay Gyllenhaal got in a car wreck and they reconstructed his face based so, on what they remember him looking like. My point being that I've been leading through this entire very blown out time <laughs> was that the moment that I rewatched it and stopped focusing on the character models, there's actually a lot of really great stuff happening. Better than that, Prince. There is... <laughs> it's like John Cena with a dreadlock wig on. <laughs> there is really great lighting effects going on. There's really great particle effects going on with the sand. Uh, and the lighting effects I'm talking about, it's like shaft lighting and stuff like that. Volumetric lighting. That all looks great. It's just that they have clearly got to do something to make these character models seem like they fit in this world. That's what it is. The character models feel different than the world around them. And since they spent so much time pulling in on the character models and you start to focus on them, you kind of don't see what makes the rest of it look really good. So my hope here is that this does turn out to be a really great, but here's my one real complaint here. Even if this, well, okay. I feel like this does not need to be $40. <laughs> I don't, Prince of Persia Sands of Time is a great game, but it's not very long, which is fine. See this, Prince. you're not giving it the same level of remake, at least from what we've seen so far. Also, 2008 Prince of Persia Prince is the best-looking Prince that they've done so far. It is. He looks See, so good. This Prince looks like he listens to EDM music. <laughs> Meanwhile, this Prince looks like he listens to Godsmack, which is coincidentally a soundtrack from Prince of Persia 2. The, the, the tonal shift from Prince of Persia Sands of Time to Warrior Within is one of the so most edgy. amazing things I've ever so seen. So edgy. You know why? I have a very solid theory on this. 
because of uh, God of War. Probably because God of War stylized and violent because of God of War. Because God of War and Prince of Persia one are very similar games. Well, and actually, well, what I'm saying, like, when you're playing them, the original God of War, you're playing it, and you're like, this feels like a Prince of Persia game. I could kind. But here's the thing: that. God of War came out in 2005, and Prince of Persia came out in 2003. I was gonna say 2000. Oh, you're talking about the first one? Yeah, and Warrior Within. Of, I think 2006. I think. Yeah, first one was 2003. Warrior Within would have been 2005. What? I think. And then how long does it make sense to me? No, 2004. They were a year what? apart. Yeah. So God of War ripped off a Warrior Within. You heard it here, <laughs> folks. And then you have Two Thrones, which is kind of like in between the two. Two Thrones was a bad game. I don't love it. I thought the the marketing was cool. The like, marketing was cool. The designs that were makes cool. me want to play the game. The designs and stuff of that game were cool. It had the biggest flaw in the world, though. Your health is your health until you become Dark Prince. Then Sands is your health, but it's also what you use to uh, reverse time. So you have to worry about your health and then reversing time. And then you fall off a cliff and you're stuck in a loop of, I can't reverse. I'll tell you right now, as much as I love Prince of Persia, the, like, you know, when I think of the original trilogy, I think of it fondly. 90% of that is on the back of the first game. <laughs> no, no. For me, it's 90% of that is on the back of Warrior Within. Warrior Within's a fun game. And actually, the, the majority of me playing Warrior Within, I didn't get to play it on PS2 much. So Oops. I didn't get around to playing it until it re-released on the PSP as Prince of Persia Revelations. And it was, it ran kind of poorly, but I got to play it. Who's the main bad guy in Warrior Within? I can't remember. I remember what he looks like. Well, it's, the, the, girl, it's the demon. Well, the girl was, that was like one of the, uh, Kalina, but this thing. Boy, first of, all, first of all, Kalina. Mm, that was like the first boss fight. You, yeah, but you know her walking up, you know, when she doesn't have the thing on the back, and she's walking up those stairs, and you just see them ass cheeks. Which, cl- <laughs> which also sounds like a cutscene from God of War 1. <laughs> it, it does, it does. And I'll give you, here's the thing. The only reason I even bring that up is that giving me a teenage boy that, <laughs> like, what are you doing? This is fan service. I didn't know what fan service was at the time. Is that a cosplay? I can't tell. Looks like it. That's Cal Drogo from Game of Thrones. Interesting. Aquaman. Yeah, Jason Momoa. Yeah. No, he's Aquaman. <laughs> Real name Aquaman. He's also in Dune. That's an interesting trailer too. I he looks a lot bigger in like in terms of like body. Yeah, I didn't. Not, not that it matters. It's just I almost didn't recognize him. I'm not a massive fan of that new trailer for Dune. I'm in between on it. Yeah. Have uh, you Have you read the book? Yeah, uh, audio book. Okay, I was gonna say like there's there's a couple things in there that are weird. But either way, yeah, the Prince of Persia remake looks really interesting. I hope it's good. I think it's overpriced. 30 would have been better. And I think the bigger question becomes here. And there, Okay, part of the reason I say that, right, is that you look at Crash Bandicoot 1, Crash Bandicoot 2, and Crash Bandicoot 3. Each of those games is roughly five to eight hours, depending on how good you are at them. Uh, they can be longer. And then, of course, when you think about the most recent remakes, there's way more content in them because you can do time trials across all three games instead of just warped. But... Both the Spyro remakes and the remake for Medieval is even something closer to this, right? But the Spyro remakes and the Crash Bandicoot remakes are three games for the price of one. Or for the price of this $140, right? So that set a pretty weird in, uh, precedent. Then you come to a more a more close example, which is the Medieval remake, uh, remake that they did, right? And that was priced at $30. And $30 feels accurate to what you're getting, it's from a ground-up remake, and then it's of a game that people beloved. Okay, I'm down with that. If you price this at $30, I'm, I'm cool with that, even if it's where it's at. Um, so I think that's part of it. But the big question becomes, 
based on how well does this this does, what do they choose to do moving forward? Do they choose to make a new Prince of Persia game? Or if this does really well, do they choose to remake Warrior Within? And well, then move on. Warrior Within. I don't think they would make a new new one. I don't know. Without at least completing the series first. I don't know. Maybe. But I know I'm never going to get it. And I, I don't wrong. I love The Sands of Time. Fantastic game. Really. I love that game a lot. Uh, it was the only reason I even bought the PlayStation 3 HD Trilogy remaster. And it's the only game I played. I started Warrior Within and I forgot how hard the opening Kalina boss fight is. What if they did this? What if they took 2008's engine and the character designs and they made it Sands of Time? That would actually be sick. Yeah. That cell shaded art style looks great, but where I was going with this is what I really want is a 2008 remake. They'll never do that. <laughs> or even a remaster. Just give me a way to play it with the ending not as DLC. We're, us two of the ten people who like that game are the ones, only ones that care about that game. There, there is a very sought-after group of people. I shouldn't say. There's a very group, there's a group of people who are... Niche group of people. Yeah, they seek after that game. But nonetheless, we will move on. The Ubisoft event, I wasn't surprised to an extent that we didn't see Far Cry, though I was a little, because it's coming so soon. But I have a feeling that they're going to do another one in November after the consoles have launched, and that's when we're going to see Far Cry 6. But we will definitely see what ends up happening there. The next thing, and and then it's going to lead us kind of into the um, full, you know, last big one. Cross-gen PlayStation Time exclusive Kena Bridge of Spirit. Hold on. I think I've done something here that i didn't intend to do hmm? no it's good it's good i'm so confused <laughs> what'd you do i think i've deleted a, a piece of news somewhere along the way actually i pretty much know well, well i walked I in and you were talking about uh rainbow six and i was like okay let me go through here and catch up where i'm at and then like there's no rainbow six in here yeah so don't worry about it but my point here is that playstation's cross-gen time exclusive kena bridge of spirits which looks really good has been delayed by developer ember lab Citing transitioning from work to home as a challenge that slowed development. The title isn't being pushed too far seemingly as it's moving from a holiday 2020 window to the Q1 2020 window. So we'll see it in the first Watch three window. months or so. Um, yeah. So it's probably going to be a November or December game. Now it's going to be a January, February, You know what's March interesting game. about this delay? There what? was a really interesting piece of news that came out about this game, and then it was delayed. And that was that it was... From two seconds from the software of the PlayStation Five to being in the game playing, yeah, the boot time. Yes, yeah, so I wonder like if that was exaggerated, maybe, and like now they have to work on getting it to that point because it's real weird to hear like a game's performing that well, but then all of a sudden now it's delayed. I mean, but that's just that's just talking about the SSD performance, really, rather than the game. That's I like, know the game has to run well to do that. I mean, no, no, for the game to just boot. It's not that's just, just the SSD just saying, booting, hey, you're going to start the game. That's not that's not just booting, though. That's allowing the SSD to read the actual data of the game, and it's being able to process the menus for the game that yeah, but fast. Do we know if it's optimization, or if the, is the game actually not complete, or what is it? You know, are we, are we, so that's what I'm saying. It's weird. It's weird. Like, this is not the first time this generation that something somebody has bragged about something about a game in the game. Whoops, now it's delayed. And it's, it's it kind of annoying the way that this happens. I don't personally see that as anything. Because I, I remember seeing what you're talking about. I don't view that as anything at all. I think it's just that the game needs to be more polished. And it doesn't ma- If the only reason it boots so quick is because of the PlayStation 5's SSD and the dev kits they work on in terms of working with them. And partially, with this being a timed exclusive, I think Sony is probably has somebody who's being a development person who's actually going through uh, and 
acting as a cross dev person who's like, Hey, this is somebody from Sony that we're going to have. You have either access to at all times who can kind of work you through what you need to do to make sure this game is at tip top space yeah. for it to be a timed exclusive. Cause clearly Sony's put a lot of push behind this, but I don't view those as the same thing realistically. Cause I think you can get a game that still needs more optimization running very quickly. But then as you're playing the game, you're like, this could be better. This could be better this isn't quite working the way we wanted it to like maybe cause you know, you're supposed to be able to control or at least have something to do with all those like little 200 like little sprite things, sprite looking things. Yeah. yeah. So when you have all that going on, I don't think that this says anything about that. That's not happening. I, I'm fairly positive that what they're saying is within their own game. When they booted up on there, they're within the game instantly. The game may need more work and that's why they're moving in a couple months back. Who knows? I guess the big question is, like, at least we got a window. Because, like, when Halo moved, it was like, this is a game that we're acting like is very far along and working on both consoles. But now we're delaying it. And we're saying to 2021, but we don't even give you a rough estimate of time. It could be holiday 2021. Exactly. And don't be wrong. If it needs to be holiday 2021 for that game to be as good as it needs to be. It needs to be, yeah. like Do it. And so, so be it. But I just think these are two very different types of delays. I this, guess so. It's just always weird to have, like... PR about a game and then now boom it's delayed. I can't go what the other game was that did it this gen, but some other game was like some other thing was like this game will be flawlessly 4K 30 frames per second natively or something. And then oh wait, well now it's not coming out for six more months. <laughs> it's just like what's up with your PR team? That's like you know a delay is coming because I thought just, Cyberpunk had some of that. Maybe it was Cyberpunk, but there's it's like what is up with your PR team where it's like. You know when a game's going to be delayed, not a day before you make the announcement, but a couple days. You don't so, just vote and then boom, put I think, out a Twitter post. I think this actually leads to an interesting conversation, though, because part of what I think this actual problem is, is the problem of gaming news and people latching on to things that were said in an innocuous ultimately meaningless manner. That's not meaningless. Well, hold on. Two this, seconds from start to, to from start What I mean by this is that this could have been said by somebody and this could have been something that they, that was not like it may it may not have been an interview that was based around like what do you think of the PS5? It could have been someone talking about the game like how how's the game going? They're like, well, this game's doing this, game's doing this, and also this is just crazy. Right now we're getting the game to be able to be booted up in five in two seconds. Well, and the thing is, they may have said it without thinking of the fact that it wasn't a PR controlled statement. But because gaming news is so ridiculous right now, and it's, because it's, of console war stuff, yeah, yeah, it's, it's so much heightened. It's ridiculous because of that one reason that but somebody then, takes that and goes, oh well, this is a reason that the PS5 is so much better than this. So Xbox. who's to blame for that? That comes down to like, is it? Is I, it I think it's. A mixture, realistically, of media and gamers who demand the media to do this, essentially. Because, well, when I say that, is that media is being influenced by the fact that readers are going to be more likely to click on something if it's something that they can sit there and stretch to some crazy means. So then that happens that because they want to get clicks on their site to make money, they have a reason to go out and go, that right there, that can be latched on and be spun in a way of where it's like, well, it gets this clicks. developer says that yeah. the PS5 is going to be so much better than the Xbox because their game boots in two seconds or whatever it is. So I think it's a mixture of the gaming people who seek for news of that of that style and then the media bowing to that want to be able to get clicks. Because I don't think that the developers should have to watch what they're saying to that degree. All they're doing is talking about their game. And of course, this is a situation that we don't fully know. But I guess I should say, like, right, take it out of this industry into any industry. If we're talking about a music project and I'm like, oh, my music project's doing this and I've got this, and then someone latches onto it, it's like, well, I wasn't saying that as like a PR statement. I was just talking to somebody about my music. 
Well, yeah, but, but it becomes a PR statement when you're talking to somebody well, from media outlets. Well, because it, well, it, it could have also been – it could have been part of a podcast. You could have been talking to somebody who's doing a podcast and you're just talking about the game. Technically, that's a media outlet, isn't it? I mean, it, not in the sense of the people who are going to take it and spin it. Because the media outlets who are going to take it and spin it are like gaming everything. media. They're going to do everything, though. And I think the big difference comes – a podcast is meant to be kind of a, like, hey, we're just discussing – like you know, technically, some of I, them are though. Some of them are meant to be news podcasts. That's where it kind of gets into like a very sure. gray area. I don't know where it was said either. To be fair, I'm only defending the fact that if it was said in a way that wasn't intended to be some big media statement, that should be able to be done. I if wonder, someone yeah. talking about their work, that should be able to be possible. Now, I will agree with you if the whole thing was just them uh, of. Them coming out and being like, hey, this is something that we're specifically putting out because yeah. PlayStation asked us to and we're doing this and now it's happening. Then it becomes a little more weird. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. What's the source is essentially comes down. And if they've marked the source and where he said it and why he said it, that's important. Um, according to this, it was said in Game Informer by Josh Greer, the chief operating officer at Ember Lab. So that's fully their fault. <laughs> that's like, it's like, man, well, it is. But then this interview could have happened two months ago. And then this, and then Game Informer just took that long to publish. And it may it. have been a question, and I don't know. I mean, does it say on there what Game Game Informer asked? Was Game Informer being like, "Hey, how does the new SSD help with game development?" And they're like, "Oh, it's awesome that we can get the game up and running in two seconds." Again, I just think a lot of the times these things are meant in an innocuous way, and that just ends up being something that's taken and blown up and stretched to a point where people feel like they can't say anything. See, like this one, PS Five DualSense may have a great feature for people who hate Switch controllers. The hell does that even mean? Means that it's got a long battery life. Possibly, yeah, but like that's the thing. But it's a like, stupid way of saying well, that. Maybe, maybe three different profiles can play on one controller at once. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's dumb. It leads us to that. Where I was going, and I know what it is, even though for some reason it's not on the news, is that even though we got a delay here, one other thing that we got is that Assassin's Creed actually moved up. <laughs> Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Whenever the ultimate thing which we're going to talk about in just a second it's going to lead to it is uh, whenever the series s and x was confirmed for november 10th assassin's creed said we're going to move the game up from a week from the 17th to release on the 10th alongside the series x and that's across all platforms that are confirmed right now so playstation 4 xbox one xbox series x and xbox series s it'll all be there same day as launch that's cool uh but that leads us into the thing of the big news this week, which is Xbox Series X was completely leaked with price and release date alongside the same info for the Series X, prompting Microsoft to move up their original plan to announce this info next week, according to Phil Spencer, is when they were planned and confirmed the leak. So Series S, in case you don't know, is an all-digital 1080p slash 1440p alternative to the more robust Series X, and it will retail at $299 USD, whereas the Series X will launch at a $499 price point, which we can only hope is ending the seemingly long game of price point chicken that both companies are playing. So here's one of the interesting things about what's going on here is... This confirmation has brought on, of course, a ton of people want to talk about PlayStation 5 because now that one's done it, and this is always going to be the case since we're as far as we are, since one's done it, it's almost immediately now. Well, when are you coming and what's your price? So it took them a few days, but after this finally happened, Sony has confirmed on Wednesday, September 16th, there is a new live stream PS5 event and they didn't say what it's going to be. 
Of course, it makes sense to think that pricing and pri- release date. If, if pricing's not there, I'm probably going to go buy it. <laughs> like, I'm just going to be done. Dude, nobody... They almost have to now, right? 90% of the people who are buying this thing can't afford to just buy it outright without some kind of pay, like planning. Yeah, and let's say that... It, let, not that it will, but let's say it's the same November 10th day, right? If you're announcing this September 16th, you're giving people two months to save. September 16th. Okay. So you're, you're giving what well, I don't know what I said. You said November 16th. So my my like, bad. Okay. Yeah, so, but from September 16th, if we get pricing announced, you're giving people roughly two months to save whatever the amount of money is. Now here's the thing. The big conversation here comes down to what what's PlayStation going to do in response? And if is, is what they're doing even going to be in response? Absolutely. Cause seemingly Xbox has had this price. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had plans to reveal it next week as they originally Well, not only that, but that's the price of this. The Xbox One X, when it came out, it came out at 500 didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. they already held a price point this high this generation, so they know that they could have hit it. Yep. We haven't seen a price point that from that from Sony. I kind of wish... Since the PlayStation 3. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. But I kind of wish that the PlayStation Pro would have had a 4K Blu-ray player in it. And maybe some other features, and then it would have been at that price point. I would have paid that much for a Pro if it had a 4K Blu-ray player. Um, now, though, I am 100% certain we're going to get price and a release date. And I think that... And pre-order information. I think, well, I think that will honestly be a thing like, well, tune in uh, soon for pre-ordering information. Like, I don't know if we'll get that exactly. I don't know. I mean, Microsoft, as soon as they did it, said you can pre-order it starting September 22nd. So... If if you know price and date, why would you not go ahead and say when you can start pre-ordering? Well, I realistically, want, I wonder if that's all based on. So, <clears throat> when you know you're going to announce the the price and the cost, I think you have more of a leniency of saying, "Hey, this is when pre-orders can open." Than where if you don't, like if if they were solely hinging on Xbox to announce, they may not have had a date in mind for pre-orders for their system yet. So like they may still have to work on that. That might be what they're doing now, but it would, it would make sense that they would have to wait a little bit to get because that's a global thing. That that's a big process of just for pre-ordering alone. Having one single day where all of GameStop systems update with this now, and at Best Buy, Amazon, Target, and globally, and all, that's if it's even globally. Yeah, we well, don't we don't know if they're going to do a staggered release. I doubt they would do a staggered release. They didn't for PS. No, they did for PS4. They didn't for PS4 Pro. Yeah. Did they do one for PS4? Yeah, PS4 came out in America before it came out in Japan. I remember that now. Weird, because that's yeah. not normal. No, it's actually uh, the reverse, but typically they, with the stuff like this. Originally, they were talking about having a global launch, because you know PlayStation were talking about how all of their companies are trying to become a global platform, yeah. and that means that they want all their marketing to be the same across the globe, uh, handled by the same group. The messaging is the same across the globe, whereas originally you had a different slogan in the U.S. than you would in the U.K. as you would in Asia or wherever. Um, so they're trying to consolidate all that into one. So you think that the need for or the want rather from them for a global launch would be there. But the problem may be that to do a global launch on a scale that's going to matter or to be able to get the biggest markets, the amount of numbers that they need to sell as good as possible, then they may go these two territories this date, two weeks later, these two territories, two weeks later, these territories. And kind of stagger it 
in a staggered and way the, like that. And I only say that because of COVID. If COVID wouldn't have happened, I think there's a high chance that they would have gone global. Yeah, because they can afford to now. Yeah, because one of the things about Microsoft that's weird is that Microsoft doesn't have the global footprint that Sony does. No. And their systems don't tend to sell globally. Their strongest and really only well-performing markets are the UK and the US. China seemingly tr- trying to go, but realistically, PlayStation's got so much more of a foothold in places like India, of course, Japan. Japan, Xbox does so pitifully that it doesn't even matter. Yeah. So when you think about Sony trying to launch the console in Japan, in the US, in the UK, all of which they are the market leaders right now, uh, even though Xbox is right up there with Sony in US, I could even be wrong. Microsoft may have finally overtaken, I don't think so though, um, PlayStation. But so when you look at that, Sony's got way more need to be like, we got to make sure that we're selling well in this area and we have enough to sell in this area. Right. Whereas Microsoft's more like, globally for us, realistically only means that we have to make sure we have enough number to satisfy the biggest group of our fans, which happen to be in the UK, you know, in uh, US, maybe somewhere in South America. But yeah. also South America's pretty heavily PlayStation. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just one of those things. Like, there's a lot of work in this kind of stuff setting it up. And I'm curious. Like, I'm curious as to what we're going to get exactly. I though am pretty certain on the price. So that's where I was gonna go. Where do you think price lands? Five hundred, four fifty. Okay. Four fifty being digital only. Five hundred being base base that, model. Now that's a safe. That's a safe bet because clearly, you know, when you when you source one of those, when you source a four K Blu Ray drive, I want to say it's like twenty eight dollars. If I, if I look, for them though, for yeah, for the uh, for, for the quantity of which they'd order would be roughly twenty eight dollars. So even if you say twenty five, whatever. Regardless, they're not only gonna drop the price by twenty five. They're going to go more. Mm-hmm. So the argument to why they would go 50 is that the moment you buy an all-digital console and you buy two or three games, they get roughly $8 per game. Yeah, you're locked into that ecosystem. Then, bam, two to three games in, they've already made their money back and they're good to go. Yeah. So that's the safe bet. And I do think that there's a high chance. I should say there's a, there's a decent chance that that is what it is. I think that there's a fairly high chance, considering the price discrepancy, that it's going to be... Four ninety nine to match place to, to match Xbox, and uh, they don't need to undercut them really. I don't think, mm. and I don't think they will. No, I don't think they want to take a loss for no real reason because the the truth is, realistically, right now with how well PlayStation's been doing from a marketing standpoint, and people loving them, I think that they would still outsell Xbox. Maybe not just massively, but I think they'd still outsell them even if they were more expensive. But for sure, if they're the same price, they're going to outsell. So meet your minimum requirement and go, just make sure we match price and we're still going to outsell. Yeah. Now, you know what we talked about like two weeks ago of looking at both Xboxes and PlayStation, but we looked at PlayStation's numbers about how much money they make from digital purchases mm-hmm. and specifically microtransaction purposes. Yeah. Getting people in on an all digital console and now having to contend with the Series S without making your own legitimately weaker console, the way that you kind of bridge that gap is you say four ninety nine for the disc drive version, three ninety nine for the disc for the digital only version. That way, you're getting more people to come in. They can't buy used games. You're going to make more money off of every game I sold. Would, I want that, but I don't think that's what it's going to be. And then the big benefit there is that if you're telling me that the Xbox Series S, which has less RAM than the than the One X does. It can't play games with the One X editions. And less storage. Oh, well. 512 yeah. gigabytes, whereas the PlayStation, don't be wrong, both are small. Yeah, that's... But we're being told well, the games are not supposed to be as big. I'll tell... I don't believe that for one second. But I'll tell you people this now. As an all-digital person, I have never, this generation, had to delete stuff. That you were actively room playing? room for stuff that I was actively playing. And just in general. 
Like I deleted, I deleted Warzone because it was like 250 gigabytes just out of sheer like there should not be a game that takes up this much space that I don't play every day. So like, I deleted that, but like a terabyte is a lot of storage. People don't seem to realize that. Like people are like, well, when you buy, when you build a gaming PC, you have to make like a, a two terabyte minimum. No, I play on a terabyte system now. I have like Dark Souls three, Dark Souls one, um, RimWorld, Rust. Uh, I have like. 20 games installed on my PC at home. And I'm not nowhere near out of space. Yeah, so it's like, just it's not like for it, big AAA games right now, if you have a terabyte, you can fit roughly nine. Yeah. Big and, AAA and, and games. Who is playing nine games at once? Yeah. Like I get people. I get it that you kinda like that you may want to have the mindset of like, well it'd be nice to have all my games there in case my internet's out. Well, half those <laughs> games won't work anyways because you don't well, have like, internet. A good example, right? You just talked about uh, Warzone. If Warzone is taking up 250 gigs of the Series S, yeah. that's half your hard drive. Yeah, it's a third. It's a third on. To be fair, though, it's a third on your PlayStation Five. It's, it is. I'm not, the, both of them are bad. Yeah, like for, both, for that. Again, most games are not 250 gigs or 200 gigs or any of that. And the proprietary price for the Xbox One, that if that's true, is worse. I don't think that's going to be true. Oh my God! We'll talk about that in a second. Two twenty or whatever. But going back to the three, the, the the reason I think that we see three ninety nine and then four ninety nine is that. If PlayStation can afford, and they definitely can because they'll make it up in the post for dang sure, to get you in the digital ecosystem, go ahead and drop out an extra $50. It's a pretty modest loss, even if you are taking a loss. I think the way you set it up is take no loss or very minimal loss on the digital, I mean, on the disk drive system if you have to. On the digital system, take a bigger loss at the fact that you're going to make it up because you, you are always going to make sure your games are digital. Yeah. So. They have that incentive to do it. Clearly, they make a ton of money from that, and they make so much money from microtransactions that wanting to get somebody in the ecosystem just so they can start spending money on Fortnite and free-to-play games is smart. Right. right. So if you're telling me that you do that, and then suddenly there's only a $100 price difference, for, and this is more for core gamers and casuals who at least keep a little bit more up. If there's a $100 price difference between two systems and one of them is the full-powered PS5, just without a disk drive. And one of them is the half-powered Series S that can't even do enhanced backwards compatibility. When you play back, when you play 360 games on it, it plays the 1S version of 360 mm-hmm. games, not the 1X version. So these are small things, and some people won't care, and that's fine. And that's still a good price point for the people that don't care. Right. But the RAM is so much less. And early on, when I first saw it, I didn't see the RAM. I thought, well, the Series S actually makes a lot of sense. If it has the same RAM, and it's got the same uh, GP, uh, CPU at the same clock speed, and it's just the GPU being clocked down... Graphics are one of the easiest things to scale, and the games aren't going to have to be made in such a way because the CPU is what's going to be your limiting factor of game design. It's like how, that's kind of how they talk about frames per second being such a problem because right. of CPU. So if you know that your CPU needs to do so much, but it's the same across both, I thought, okay, that's not a big problem. But then when I realized it's got less RAM than the 1X, and it's got the same amount of RAM, better RAM to be fair, but the same amount of RAM, if I'm not mistaken, is 8 gigs as the launch xbox one did eight yeah. gigs eight gigs is not enough nowadays maybe it can be i don't want to say anything deter- well i guess that's true because it could be what gdr6 yeah it's gdr6 and yeah, that's so much that's, more effective and your bandwidth is. to move stuff along is a lot higher now the big thing is going back to the price and then we'll talk about the series s a little more because there's a lot to say about the series s and the expandable memory that oh but if you only have a hundred dollars between a system that is a fully powered why would you not just go ahead? If I was looking at them, 
Well, I'm, some people may not. Some people may not. Some people won't make. Care. No, they may not make that hundred dollars in the maybe time not. frame they want. So maybe, they, they, maybe they're sitting there and they're like, "Tell me another two months. I'll just go buy this now." But you know, when I'm looking at it, I think which one seems more future proof? Now you'd hope with That's, Microsoft putting the S out that they, the S is just as future proof as who, the X. Somebody who can't make a hundred dollars in two months is probably not smart enough to think about future proofing. To be honest. Smart enough, or yeah. just don't, or not or worried about not, it because they have other stuff going. Yeah, on. Yeah, they have other stuff going on. I should okay. say, not smart enough. That sounded yeah. mean. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant. Like yeah. some people are just in weird situations, but yeah, people who are trying to spend this X amount of money because they can't make up a hundred dollars is not going to care about that machine in that sense in six months because they don't. And why are you buying the machine too? If you're just buying it to have a machine well, to play no, Warzone and that's Apex it. That's on. it. That's it right there. Yeah. Like they're not going to care about upgrading. They're not going to care about future proofing it. Yeah, which is clearly who this is for, right? But still, I think looking at it, it would it would really get it would kind of the two ninety nine price point seems really good when you think that all the PlayStation fives are going to be four fifty to four ninety nine. But if you bring it closer, where there's a hundred dollar difference between the two, and you get two hundred and fifty gigs more of storage, or two hundred twenty five gigs more of storage, whatever. You get way more power out of it. You get a system that can play the PS four games, but also the PS four enhancements in those games. It just starts to look a lot better, and also it gives the PlayStation 5 an entry point that matches the PS4s, but in a way that PlayStation still makes the money up because every purchase will be digital. It's just a, it's the perfect win-win to me. It doesn't mean I think that they're 100% going to do it, but I think that it's plausible. If I had to like give it a chance, right, 35% chance they're going to do this is what I feel like. and I, and I hope that they do because it's smart. See, I'm going to say $50 difference, not 100 I mean, the fifty dollars difference is the safe bet. Yeah, it really is. So if they end up with four fifty and four ninety nine, I'm not going to be like, oh man. But if they do the three ninety nine, I'm going to be like, that's dope. But also, I called it because it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, that's actually what I want the community's take to be this week. I want our community's take to be published on the same tomorrow or Tuesday before the event. I want people to call what they want their price to be and then, then come back and react on what it was the, the price was. How right you were? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. But before we finish off completely, we're going to finish talking about the Series S because it is important to an extent. So the Series S is really small, which is cool. Actually, it's, it's a really interesting form factor. But the one thing continues to be RAM and then hard drive space. Hard drive space being the bigger thing because of it being an all-digital console. Yeah. right? So you're not worried about RAM if all you're worried about is being a casual gamer that has a next-gen console. Fantastic. What does start to matter is how much hard drive space you have. Well, okay, Xbox has plug-and-play, easy-to-go, which we know PlayStation 5 has easily swappable. But nothing is easier than a plug-and-play cart that just has a, yeah. a thing at the back. It's smart, but that's it's also card. it's all it really is. Yeah, it's also more proprietary. Yeah. So the thing right now is is what, as great as two ninety nine looks, if the problem becomes that you do run out of hard drive space because games don't get smaller and games actually get bigger, we don't know. Then you come to a problem of the estimated cost right now is no, not estimated. The rumored, rumored, sorry, yeah. not estimated. Yeah, yeah bad, the, bad choice <laughs> word. Uh, yeah, the rumored cost is what two oh nine for a twenty nine, two twenty nineteen. It's one of the it's two nineteen yeah. or two twenty. It's over two hundred dollars for a one terabyte expansion card. It, basically, it, what it came down to is if you bought that and the console, it costs twenty dollars more than to buy the Xbox Series X. <laughs> now, I'll tell you right now, two things. Allegedly, that card can work on the Series X. Yeah. Also, don't forget, this is a one terabyte proprietary SSD. 
NVMe SSD. This is not a hard drive. So this, honestly, people are complaining about the price. I am too. Like I'll, I'll be the one to tell you, like, like two hundred dollars is probably the most you should pay for this thing. And and trust me when I say that SSDs for that size that is that's that fast is around that price anyways. And but this is proprietary. I almost guarantee you, Sony's going to cost the same realm. In the same realm, I promise you, Sony's will be. Two hundred ish dollars. See, I feel take. like if they really wanted people to do this, and I get it, it's, it's part of it is it's, it's an accessory they can make money off of. But this is just a thing to show you. So Samsung, who are top of the line when it comes to SSD, yeah, they are the best, or one of the best. An internal SSD NVMe, which is exactly you know spec more or less with what you'd expect from them. There's not an exact right now because PCIe four cards don't quite exist in the NVMe space on PC yet. But they're going to by the time the consoles launch, so it's fine. Yeah. But um, are they coming out right now? I think now, there's actually. one. I think there's one on market now. There's yeah. One, so though. anyway, when you're looking at that right now for a Samsung top of the line Evo one terabyte internal NVMe NVMe drive, it's one seventy nine ninety nine. My thing is, is that if you're on that and you're wanting to see this, I really feel like Microsoft should at least be trying to match that or a little bit lower. Think about one fifty to one eighty. Plug and play external proprietary it drive. It is. Now, Seagate's making it though. Still though, can it work with Windows on your PC at home? It, it, it makes sense it would, but you, we don't know. We don't know. Honestly, if it also, does, it, that's, a, I would buy one of those for my computer. It's just a proprietary it port, so no. Oh yeah, duh, it is. It's not USB. Yeah, because I don't think you can get speeds this fast over USB. No. So not right That now. makes sense on why it's proprietary. Maybe USB C would be the closest. But it, well, no, yeah, because it'd have to be the the port is essentially a proprietary PCIe four port. Yeah. Um, or three. Is, it, is that what they are? PCI? I think it's four female is what it is. Yeah. I think. Um, but yeah, it's honestly, PCI this, the four. price for this is not bad. But when you consider bundling it in with the with the Series S, the cost together is what is ludicrous. Yeah. Now, you buy the Series S and two years down the road, you still have it, you love it, and you want to upgrade your memory. $200 is not a not bad, bad. Yeah. And hopefully that price is. comes down by then. Yeah, hopefully. Well, people don't forget that Microsoft did have those dumb snap-on hard drives that were 12 gigabytes, I think. And so expensive. And they were $100 at launch. When those things first came out, they were $100. Now, granted, they redeemed themselves with that little mechanical drive they sell. That little mechanical drive they sell is cheaper to buy that than it is to buy an external uh, hard drive at Best Buy for the same size, and you actually get a little bit faster speeds. Um, I think most drives back then were like 7,200 RPM, where this one was a little bit faster. But I think in the realm of things in, involving that, that's just that price sounds ridiculous, and it is. But at the same time, there's nothing on the market like it, so there's nothing to compare it to. Yeah, the it's, closest you, thing you can do is just compare it to another NVMe drive that's, that's internal, internal and not proprietary. Yeah, which even then, most dang, I say that because I like most NVMe drives are the easiest thing to install. You just like pop them in and put a screw in. I've seen people break them, and then well, that's they're dumb. For I've that. seen people break RAM. People, then, some people don't understand how just a pop in card that's, works. That's all I was saying though. But then I was like, I realized that's every part in the PC is nowadays is you pop just popping it in, and some of them involve screws. Josh still thought you had to solder stuff in a PC when you build it. You don't got to do that at all. Like it's literally adult Legos. You like literally look at an instruction book and you, whoops, you pop into place. I did not know people thought you had to solder onto a, a motherboard. That's interesting. No, but, but that's that's the community's take this week. I want that to be uh, what you expect the price to be, and then come, for both the for both systems the and then disk drive and digital. And if it's on Discord, 
edit it, it because you can't do that on Twitter. But edit what you say. Like come back like on Wednesday and be like, I was wrong. It's this. And then tell us how you feel. Just don't say I was wrong or right. Say I'm actually okay with this. Or, I'm like, I'm kind of upset about this. But then on Twitter, just reply to yourself. That's, <laughs> that's probably our most complicated communities take yet, but I feel like it'd be fun. Yeah. Because you can't cheat it. Oh, and here's the thing. You go, come back to yourself and tell us what you thought or you're not going to get your communities taken red. I want this to be the stakes are high. The stakes are high because it's 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 the highest event of the year. It's the highest stake event of the year. We're finally getting to know what the next gen console is. There's gonna be some high stakes. This is black tie, non optional. Black tie required. Blue tie required. We're PlayStation boy. It's true. What would black tie be? Is there a console that you like? I don't think anybody uses black as Sega. a main color. Sega, blue. That's, that's just Sonic. That's <laughs> just Sonic. No, the old Sega start screen was in blue. It was white, technically, if you want to get that serious. But just the font of Sega was in blue. Yeah. Sega. But that, clearly that means that white, blue was their color. White screen. It's white, though. Hold up. Let's hit it. Y'all ready? So what is... You failed. Boy, YouTube was like, no. Nope. Whoa, what was that? <laughs> oh, it's just... That was loud. It's just uh, the feedback. You're welcome, guys. I hope I didn't blow out your ears or anything. But anyways, you got the community's take underboard. You know where to find us. And if you don't, it's every YouTube. Or not every YouTube. I've had this down pat for so long, and now I just messed up. Every Monday on YouTube at 12 p.m. Central Time or 10 a.m. Pacific Time. And you can find us across all podcast services across the web. If you don't, let us know. We'll get on it. Also, tell us what you thought of the video or the podcast or anything. Tell us your feelings on this episode. Go in there and say... How would you feel about the finale for Will and Grace? You just tell us go, anything you want. Go in there and tell us how we, how we about what you think of the pricing is going to be. And then do it again on a community's take. If the podcast service or YouTube service that you're watching, if, if you feel nice, give us a like, give us some comments, rate us, review us. But if we're doing bad, tell us. Tell us what we can fix. And we will, or we'll try. Um, or we'll tell you that we don't want to do it. <laughs> because maybe we too. just don't. But uh, anyways, we have special groups that you can find us at. You can find us on Twitter at TriangleSQRD. You can find us on Facebook at the PlayStation Podcast group called a Triangle Square. <laughs> at Triangle Square and a PlayStation Podcast. So I was like, I don't have a Facebook. I'm, I'm, just, Facebook. I'm, I'm running off. I'm what just, I- yeah, I'm going off what I remember. Or you can find us, of course, on our Discord, which we link below. Also, if you really do love us and you're telling all your friends about us, the next step that you can go to is supporting us on Patreon, where if you're there for three months... $5 a month, $15 total. You get a custom case. And I just, Brett gave me the one for Final Fantasy VII the other day. I saw it in person. Probably yep. the sexiest thing I've ever seen. So you should probably <laughs> drop down $15 over the course of a quarter of a year and get yourself a nice case like that. Because it's, it's the only place you can get them. It's just that, that, that's just it. We could do a giveaway soon. But other than that, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so until then, until next time, we love you guys, and we'll see you all soon. Also, updates on the cases. I sent most people's out Friday. It's, I saw them. It's the true. only reason I didn't send a few out is because they're in the California West Coast area that is having issues right now. Uh, so I decided it would be best to hold until the, hopefully all that's done. I think one of them ended up getting sent on accident because I didn't realize until I stopped to think about Kiki and where he's at. And I was like, I should hold the rest of these. Kiki, I know where your address is. I'm coming for you. We're, we're going to rescue cheeks. you. <laughs> Saul's going to clap his cheeks like helicopters and just, <laughs> just be flying around. Come, pick you up, bring you back whoa, to whoa. Arkansas. <laughs> but if you would like to support the show, like these fantastic people, 
head over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider giving as little as a dollar per month. But big shout out to our patrons, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popes, Kevin Baconbits, Joshua Lago, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Blow, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanland, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, Tyler B., and lastly, Mr. Richard Schaefer. Thank you so much to everyone for supporting the show.